Welcome to part two of the On the Shelf Anniversary Podcast. If you missed the first part, stop right here, go back and listen to the first part before continuing. Otherwise, thank you for listening. Here we go. Well, that was fun. Uh, George and Jason. And man, I'm just glad we were able to have them both on the show. That That's, it's great. It's always great to talk to George. You know, he's such a young young guy with all this energy and uh curve has been around for you know, a while they've been doing some amazing things big fan mm-hmm. of the stealth ink series stealth bastard and stealth ink are phenomenal yep. really do hope yeah. that i can play those on the switch someday yeah george is is really active in the community and i know that jason's just super busy so it's really really great that we got a chance to sit down with both of them at the same time that was really a treat and now this, this month, 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 month in gaming, gaming history. history. You keep trying. I feel I think like it's you're working. Trying. No, no, I, I think it's working. I think okay. it's coming along. Yeah. March twenty first, nineteen sixty nine. Japanese industrialist Kagemasa Kazuke founds a little company called Konami. Konami officially incorporates on March nineteenth, nineteen seventy three, just shy of four years later and begins manufacturing arcade machines. Prior to Konami, Kazuki-san ran a jukebox rental and repair business in Osaka, which would transition over to amusement machines in 1978 and open up exporting to the U.S. the following year. Success came in 1981 with arcade titles such as Frogger and Super Cobra. In 1982, Konami established a foothold in the U.S. market and began focusing more on the emerging video game market and working their way into home consoles. The company began publishing on the Atari 2600 and the MSX home computer in 1982 and 83, but the real shift came about in 1985. Konami began establishing their well-known and loved series around this time, thanks in part to the Nintendo Entertainment System. We saw the birth of Gradius, Twin B, Castlevania, Contra, and Metal Gear. Their support ramped up to the 16-bit in 1990 with the development for the Super Nintendo, followed by the Sega Genesis in 1992. 1994 saw the launch of the Sega Saturn and the Sony PlayStation, and with it, Konami began branching out, establishing subsidiaries that would go on to create new IPs, such as Silent Hill, and revive previous ones, such as Metal Gear. 1997 brought about the rhythm game craze, and Konami started publishing arcade hits like Dance Dance Revolution in 1998. Konami began work on sixth-generation consoles in 2000, and invested in another developer you might have heard of, Hudson Soft. 2003 saw the change of their logo into what we recognize today. The absorption of Hudson Soft in 2012 gave them control of classic series such as Bomberman and Bloody Roar. Konami dissolved one of their most well-known subsidiaries, Kojima Productions, in 2015, which led to their delisting from the New York Stock Exchange. Their newly appointed CEO, Hideki Hayakawa, announced that they would shift their focus to mobile gaming for the time being. Konami announced in 2017 that they would be reviving some of their well-known titles as a result of how successful games like Super Bomberman R were on the Nintendo Switch. That gives us hope that we might one day see some movement on classic series such as Castlevania and Contra in the future. And that's this This month month, month, in gaming gaming history. history. It's getting better, but I don't know. And now would be the perfect time for them to, 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 you know, start bringing some stuff 
to the Switch. It's 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 been long enough. Like give us give us some new stuff or license your old stuff out, whatever. You know, I'm fine with I'm fine with, with either. Just give us some stuff, please, Konami. Well, they did they did allow uh Simon and Richter in Smash. So there's that. Yeah, but they didn't the design was about as far as that the initial design is about as far as that extends. You know, let us have um yeah, I don't see them making new games really. Uh, so no, unfortunately, maybe 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 port over some of the uh, the lesser known Contras, like the ones that were on uh, PS2 and Xbox, Shattered Soldier, something would be cool. Would be cool. You know, Konami, it it it's just such a shame. All, all the all the great IPs they have there that they're not developing actively, and honestly. If you look at, you know, some of these things, you think there's so much promise there, right? There's there's just so much that could be done with that, and yet it just sits. It just nothing's happening with it. So yeah, I mean, there's, the demand is there. Look at uh, look at games like Bloodstained. I mean, that's that's oh, yeah. a that's a that's a Castlevania throwback, and people are chomping at the bit to get their hands on it. I mean, obviously, Castlevania would do good. Trust me, every time I see Bloodstain, it gives me pause to think about what would happen if Castlevania were to have a nice update on there. So all that fun aside, no, you missed it. Oh, oh, come what? on, I was I what fed I that to you on a platter. It gives me pause. Oh, wow, man, that was wow. so obvious too. No, it wasn't because I don't associate pause with pause, pause. cats, gentle okay. bros. Speaking of pause, apparently. <laughs> Speaking of pause, we have interview, technically interview number three, but really it's kind of four because we had two and one. Uh, but now we go to Desmond Wong of the gentle bros, which are the creators of Cat Quest. Meow. We welcome to the show Desmond Wong, CEO, artist, and game designer from the Gentle Bros, developer of a wonderful game, Cat Quest. Desmond, thank you for taking the time to talk with us on our one-year anniversary show. How are things in Singapore today? Oh, it's going great, guys. Uh, as usual, Singapore's really hot, but it's actually a cool morning now. Yeah, so there's there's a time difference. I think it's probably evening for you guys, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I just woke up. I'm actually technically still in my bed while talking to you guys. So yeah, it should be great. <laughs> Can you tell our listeners a bit about the Gentle Bros? What made you decide to start an independent game studio? Right. Okay. So um, the Gentle Bros is actually uh, founded by three people. So basically uh, two other guys besides me. We, we, we were all actually from... Uh, Tecmo Koei, or Koei Tecmo, with the guys who did like uh, Dynasty Warriors, uh, Ninja Gaiden and stuff like that. We worked there for a couple of years. And, you know, there's that grind when you're working on like console titles, right? Like you're, you, you just kind of feel like a really small gear in a machine. So we needed more creative freedom with our, with our project. So we just got together. Like we were just seated next to each, each other in the company. And we, we were like, Hey, do you want to start making a game together? Like just, just a small game that we, that we could put on like mobile or something like that. So that's what we did, right? We, we, we just spent our nights after work 
working on, on our small little projects and eventually one of them I like got the notice of like Congregate which is a which is an American publisher and uh, they give us some money to start out and that's kind of what happened like, we, we, we used that money to leave our jobs and we got like a local government grant or something and, and yeah that the rest is history basically like we, we used that money to start our company and yeah, we've been making games ever since, and our most recent project was Cat Quest, which you guys were, ju- were just mentioning. And yeah, that's also been our most successful project so far, so it's been really great. Aside from the great work that you're doing with General Bros, I, and you kind of alluded to this, you, you kind of mentioned this, I understand that you were a CG artist for Koei Tecmo as well, and, and you've had a chance to work uh, as a character mm-hmm. artist for some very well-known franchises. How much of that experience are you bringing over to what you're doing with projects like Cat Quest and its sequel? I was a character artist on stuff like Dead or Alive, uh, Fatal Frame, and uh, Dynasty Warriors. So obviously, all those games are vastly different from what we've been making, right? So, like, like first and foremost, those games were 3D games, um, and they were mostly human-based characters. Like Cat Quest, as you know, is all just animals, and cute cats, and stuff like that. So. Skill-wise and like uh, style-wise, we couldn't really bring much over. Um, but what we really, but what really helped us um, when starting our own company was basically the work methodologies, uh, the pipelines and stuff that we learned while working at Koei Tecmo. So even simple stuff like how you name your files, right, or, or like the pipeline of how you get your art into the game engine and stuff like that was all things that really helped us when we started our own company because we knew how all this would and can be done like right from the get-go there was like there was like no learning curve there was no we, we didn't we didn't need the time to fail or anything like that because we knew exactly what we needed to do so i think in, in that sense it really helped with our efficiency and 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 helped us get uh get on the ground running as soon as we could and and of course um i think the thing that helped us the most was basically that that slight that, that pedigree of having worked on those projects like you mentioned. Uh, I still remember our first game uh, that we did as a company was called Slashy Hero and we were thinking like, how, how, how do we get the media's attention, right? Like, how, how, how do we get Touch Arcade or like Kotaku or stuff to write articles about the games that, that we were making? And uh, one of the ideas we had was like, hey, let's just email these guys and say like we were like ex-Dynasty Warriors developers or something like that. Maybe that would catch their attention and and, and sure enough, it, 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 it helped a lot with... Uh, with some of the media outlets that we, we we reached out to, so I think in that sense, having having that the experience in Koei Tecmo uh, was really a benefit for us when starting our own indie company. So we'll shift focus over to Cat Quest. I understand the game actually started off as a dance game and transitioned <laughs> over to an RPG. How did that come? Yeah. Up? Oh man, it's super long story, man. So uh, yeah, so we were fresh. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were fresh off uh, Slashy Hero, our first game. Uh, we were thinking, okay, what are we gonna do next? So uh, we we mo- all of us like cats, right? And the internet loves cats, so we knew right from the get go that we wanted to do something cat related or like maybe something animal related at the very least. Um, one of us is actually a musician, uh, Shas, which is uh, one of our partners. So she actually plays uh, the instruments and she teaches music and stuff like that. So we thought, hey, it might be pretty cool if we could uh, do some kind of rhythm based music game with cats, right? So we. One of us had the idea um, of a game called Copycat. So it's a it's a dancing rhythm game where you play as a cat, and it's has a little bit of like social multiplayer mechanics as well, where uh, you had to kind of copy the moves of another player. Um, so that was the initial idea, right? 
unfortunately, I was the game designer for the project and I have like zero musical background whatsoever. So it was virtually impossible or really hard for me to design a game that was music-based and rhythm-based like that. So that, that, that was how it started, right? So we, we kind of did a lot of art assets for uh, Copycat, that, the, the dancing game. And we didn't really want to... We felt bad to throw away all these cute art assets that we've made. So we, we thought, hey, maybe is there a way that we could like uh, change, change the game mechanic, change the idea of the game, but still keep these cute characters? And that's, how, and, and, and that's kind of how the prototyping phase came about. Uh, we prototyped we, we prototyped many different game ideas and mechanics. I think at one point Cat Quest was like an idol game, at another point it was a it was actually like a tavern management game in a sense. So you 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 would like actually control a barkeep, and you would like serve drinks to like cat adventurers that would come into your bar. Same games. At, at one point we were even talking to uh, Namco Bandai. We were like asking them whether we could do like a mobile version for Dark Souls or something like that. So. Those were weird times, and uh, yeah, eventually we 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 prototyped an idea where you would when you would be traveling across an overworld map as a cat, right? But at that point, there was there was no battle system, there was no battle mechanics yet. It was literally just a traveling mechanic. You would kind of trace a line through this overworld map, and you see your cat just trudge along that line, and and you would get random encounters along the way. So that was really the very first initial uh, concept for Cat Quest. But after that, as we reiterated on the idea over and over, we, we, we realized it might be even cooler if, if we scrapped the random encounter mechanics, you know, made, made players actually run on the world map, like our like Final Fantasy, the old Final Fantasy, right? Uh, the, one, the ones with the overworld maps and stuff like that. And you actually fought the enemies on the map itself. So that, that, that really was the turning point for the project. Like once we had that idea down, everything else came into place. Like, like sleeping in towns, you know, like the towns are just on the map. You don't need to enter them. All the caves acted, all the dungeons acted as like levels, quote and unquote, in, in, in our game. Um, and yeah, after that, basically everything was just really easy to design. And uh, that's pretty much how uh, the cat quest you know today uh, came about. Is is there? Do you have any idea if if maybe you might uh, might go back and and revisit the dance game? Maybe maybe have it as like a a mini game or something available in the sequel. I mean, we've had a lot of fans actually ask us uh, bring back the dancing game, right? Like because like it, it just sounds so interesting. Like how can a game like Cat Quest be a dancing game? Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, unless you can hire someone. Who- who has some kind of a musical background and game design experience is going to be really tough for us. Because uh, currently, as it stands right now, I'm the only uh, game designer in the company. So, And I have no musical background whatsoever. I, I can't even like sing. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's going to be really <laughs> tough. Yeah, it's going to be really tough for me to uh, design a, uh, a dancing game. But yeah, I mean, we wouldn't rule that out. Like uh, like even Persona has a has a dancing side, like side gig, right? Uh, with their... Dancing all night series and stuff like yeah. that. So yeah, I saw yeah, so uh, yeah, yeah. So we we wouldn't really rule out the idea. I mean, it'd be really cool to do it in the future. And, and yeah, if if it does happen, right, it'll be it'll be a miracle <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we've uh, we've beat around the bush a little bit, but our listeners would probably be upset if we didn't ask. Um, right. You've already an- you've already answered the why cats, but is there was there a specific cat that was an inspiration for this? A specific cat. 
actually no. I mean, strangely, we 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 just didn't have one. We all, all, all we wanted to do was design our own cat, right? So, but the colors and stuff of the cat was actually inspired by Pikachu. So it's his our cat is yellow for a reason, right? So because we all really like Pokemon, uh, we think Pikachu is really cute. Um, we thought yellow is a really striking color, so. That's why. That's pretty much why our cat is yellow. But there isn't actually any real life cat that were that we were inspired by. I mean, we we took a lot of inspiration from a lot of different cats, like uh, a lot of interpretations of cats, like Garfield, uh, like Felix, and stuff like that. We kind of looked at all of them, and we we kind of took the best parts that we felt from each of these characters, and we combined it all into our art style. And yeah, that's how our cat came about. Yeah, so, sorry that was a disappointment for, <laughs> for people who thought that out. Okay, not at all. Not. A, I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed. They might. They might wonder if maybe in the future, in a sequel, there might be other inspiration for cats. But we could talk about that more later. <laughs> <laughs> sure. The game is absolutely filled with cat puns. So, did right. you guys keep like a list? And and if so, did you have many that didn't make it into the game? Maybe there's some puns left over. I mean, if you've played Cat Quest, right, you know there's so many puns. There were we definitely did not leave any puns to the cutting room floor. Like <laughs> anything we thought of, it was it all got in. Uh, maybe too much, too many puns, in my opinion. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> but, but but yeah, I mean, um, how we started like gathering the puns was we just went on the internet. Uh, we we googled like awesome cat puns and 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 we just basically started from there so we had a we had a, like a list of the basic cat punch right so so the, so there's a basic few there's like possum there's like perfect basically any word that rhymes with like paw or purr or meow like meowless those were like the base ones after that actually a lot of the a lot of the puns you see uh were actually uh, suggestions from our fans or suggestions from testers that played the game so one good example was uh there's an actual area in the map called the forbidden fields uh, it wasn't actually always called that. Previously, it was just called Forbidden Fields, right? Like, uh, like, like it was just spelled exactly as how it would be spelled in 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 normal English. Uh, but one of the testers that we we let like test test the game initially, he he had the idea like, hey, uh, why not you why not you call this the Forbidden Fields instead instead? And we thought that was like a great idea. And after that, it was just a case of just getting used to writing puns. We're actually going through that whole process again right now with Cat Quest Two. Because we're introducing dogs, right? So dogs have their own set of puns, uh, which is like a whole new range of words that could be punified in a, in, in a sense. Uh, so that's been another learning curve for us. So like we're really good at doing cat puns, right? But dog puns are like like a whole different ball game, and they're like so hard compared to cat puns. But yeah, that's basically how we do it. The game isn't extremely long. Uh, the standard right. first playthrough isn't especially challenging, but the game feels like the intention is to entice the player to replay it with a different mode and a set of modifiers. Is that, am I correct with that? Yeah, that, that's right. So uh, there's this mode called Mew Game, right? So there's a bunch of modifiers that you can uh, turn on. Uh, there's like one for uh, no armors. There's one for, you, you just have nine lives. There's, there's another modifier where you cannot level up, stuff like that. So yeah, we intentionally kept the game uh, short for replayability, but we we didn't expect like a, a huge community to actually uh speed run the game. So 
So we, we have a lot of uh, emails from, from, from speedrunners, like, thanking us for making a game that was, like, so easy to speedrun, you know, like, it, it's a great introduction to speedrunning for a lot of people. Uh, that was never, so, I, but I'm glad that, that it turned out that way. Yeah, I have I have a s- small speed running background, and now I kind of feel like I need to go back and replay Cat Quest. <laughs> <laughs> you totally should, man. That's that's like we, we were watching. I think uh, Cat Quest was uh, was played at a, a awesome game, awesome games done quick, and uh, there was a particular speed running exploit that we never knew existed in the game. So we we're like, holy shit! Like, should we fix this? Uh, but we but in the end we didn't. So we just left it in for nice. all the speedrunners out there. Yeah. Uh, when I when I completed the game. I actually tweeted about it and General Bros responded to me wishing me luck because Mew Game Plus was a challenge. Right, uh, it is, yeah. With uh with as casual as the first playthrough was, uh how did you have to ramp up the difficulty before you considered it enough for Mew Game? We didn't really think so much of uh ramping up the difficulty to a certain extent. So we, we were we were just concentrating on creating a different experience. So uh, for example, in, in the base game, uh, you only unlocked uh, the ability to walk on water at, a, at around the middle to three-quarter mark of the game. But in Mew game, you get that right from the beginning. So it, it completely changes uh, the way you play the game. With the ability to walk on water right from the beginning, you can access areas that you normally couldn't have in a normal game. So mm. that kind of changes the route that you go about through the world. And in, in turn, it changes the way you play the game as well. So in that sense, our intention was always to create a new experience with new game. And to ramp up the difficulty, right, we decided to make it something that was uh, customizable by the player, So, which is where the modifier idea came about. So modifiers are basically modifiers that you can uh, apply to the game itself to make it harder or easier. So there's actually a modifier that actually gives you all the armor that you collected from your base game into, uh, into your new game. So that's a, that's a modifier that makes things easier, right? Uh, but there are others as well, like the, the level one challenge and stuff like that. The idea all stemmed from uh, watching old challenge videos from um, Final Fantasy and stuff. Because back then, um, like people were kind of challenging themselves with the old Final Fantasy games. Like, can I beat this game without leveling up? Or can I beat this game with uh, Klaus, um, Buster Sword from the beginning, right? Uh, so it's stuff like that that we thought was... And it's stuff that we, we wanted to incorporate into Cat Quest as well. But make it something that was more... Uh, more official and, and, and more part of the game mechanics, in, in a sense. Did you ever give any thought to making the game a traditional turn-based RPG, or was it always going to be an action RPG at that point? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the very first prototype for Cat Quest was... The, the, the battle system was actually turn-based. So, uh, like, um, the idea was you would walk around the map. You will, you, you will basically draw, like, a line, right? And this will be your, your, your route through the map. And your, your cat would just walk along that line and along the way you just get attacked by random enemies. So when, when that happens, um, I think if I remember right, attacking was auto. So your, your characters would just attack the enemies automatically. But uh, every few seconds you get a chance to select a, a, a certain different command uh, to attack the enemy with. So I know it's not exactly turn-based, it's kind of like the blend between the two. But yeah, that was actually the first ever prototype for, for the game that we know today as Cat Quest. It wasn't very, very fun in my opinion, so that's why we kind of changed it to the, the real-time battle mechanics that we that is currently in the game right now. Uh, was there uh, what, what was the overall reception of Cat Quest on the Nintendo Switch? Like how how did it how well was it received? 
this is our first game on the Switch, so we don't really have anything to base it on. But I think we did pretty good. Like, in Japan, we were actually the top three most downloaded game on I think during the first or second that we came out. So we, we, we beat like really crazy anime looking like that. So we were really proud of that. Uh, in the US and UK, we were, I think, we were fifth and sixth uh, on the eShop charts. So that was good as well. Yeah, so I think we did pretty well. In terms of downloads, the Switch is actually the fastest the fastest downloaded version of, of Cat Quest out of all the other platforms. In terms of total downloads, I think Steam, I mean, it, it I mean, compared to all consoles and PC, right, Steam probably still has the most downloads, but that's because Steam has like a one to two months head start over the Switch version. As it continues to grow, we believe that the, the Switch version would probably overtake the Steam version at some point, or it probably already has. I just, uh, we're just too, uh, we're just too deep into Cat Quest 2 right now to, to really check, but yeah. yeah well, so don't forget all the physical, don't forget the retail release too. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, we didn't, I'm not sure about the, I'm not sure how many physical versions that we printed, but yeah, you're, you're right, man. We definitely can't discount that as well. Yeah, I, I played mine, I play most of my games physically, but Cat Quest, I, I have a physical ESRB copy. I think PQ oh, nice. published it. Yeah, PQ published it, yeah. So uh, they're the guys that we're working with for uh, US and UK, basically the Western regions. So, yeah. So, like, I'm from Singapore, which is considered, like, Southeast Asia, right? So, we, we didn't work with any distributor here for CatQuest. So, you don't, so we, we actually don't see CatQuest in the shops, like, from where I am. So, which is kind of a bummer. <laughs> what can you tell our audience about the development progress so far on CatQuest 2? All the core mechanics are done, right? Um, right now, we're focused on just finish up, fin- finishing up the main content of the game. So the, the main the main quest is about seventy five to eighty percent done. All the side quest content is about fifty to sixty percent done. I know it, it doesn't sound like much, but it's we're getting there. All once all the base tools and um like foundational things are done, right? Like the actual content generation is pretty fast. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to meet our release date, uh, which is actually the third quarter of this year. So fingers crossed, but uh, yeah, that's kind of what we're aiming for. You know, one of the things that I really loved is that in-depth blog post that you put up on your website about developing and releasing the game as multi-platform as possible. Oh, right, yeah. Is there anything that you're planning on doing differently about the multi-platform aspect of the release for the sequel, or is it going to be kind of the same challenge for you? Um, actually, I would say even more challenging right now. Uh, because we're adding Xbox One to the mix too, right? So back then we only we, we launched on pretty much every platform except Xbox. That that was mainly because of technical challenges, not because we don't like Microsoft or anything like that. Uh, we actually love Microsoft. So this time we're adding Mix, which is one whole new skill, which is a whole different ball game as well. But yeah, it's actually even more challenging because in Cat Quest One we actually focus on just uh, the mobile and the PC release for our first launch uh but kind of right now we're looking at we're trying to do something that is more simultaneous right so uh we're trying to put cat quest on everything as close to each other as possible so in cat quest one there was a huge there was a huge gap well i wouldn't say huge it was like a, a few months gap between mobile and pc launch and the console launch but we're trying to we're trying to close up that gap now for cat quest 2 try to make everything as simultaneous as possible which is a huge challenge because as a team we've only grown by one person but we've added all these new challenges. So 
So yeah, hopefully, hopefully we don't screw it up. But yeah, so n- nothing really about the release schedule that we can announce right now. But hopefully that shed some light on on what we are planning to do. From a gameplay aspect, what do you think will set Cat Quest Two apart from the original? Oh, definitely the the fact that you can play as a dog this time, and you can play the game with a friend. So in Cat Quest One, it was a completely single player solo experience, right? You only control one cat. Uh, but now in Cat Quest 2, even if you're playing single player, uh, it's a two-man party this time. So it's both a cat and dog going on an adventure together. So what this means is you can actually swap between the cat and dog at any time, and the other character will be AI-controlled. You can customize both characters in any way you want. So you can, you, can give, you can give the dog a certain set of spells that you would like him to cast in battle, and the AI will be smart enough to actually cast it. So there's all sorts of different strategies you could come up with, right? You could you could make one character the tank and then have him like kind of like just soak up all the damage from the enemy while you stand behind and just shoot enemies from afar with your with your mage staff or something like that. Or you could make the AI companion like a fully fledged support class, like right? so you give him all the healing spells, you give him all the support spells. So there's a whole new host of strategies you could go about with the game as well right now. And on top of that, at any time in the game, the co-op experience is completely seamless so you could just imagine you could be playing by yourself and your friend comes in right say hey i want to play some cat quest too he's like sure just jump in man so you could he, your friend can just hook up a controller select 2p mode and just seamlessly join the game where, wherever the original player was at previously so we're really excited about that and it's also one of the toughest challenges that we've had to face so far because cat quest traditionally has always been a single player experience uh, but now adding co-op completely changes a lot of the uh, mechanics that we've that we've been comfortable with so far. You've already uh, mentioned a little bit about this. Was to bring up similarities. I was going to ask if uh, Cat Quest Two is going to have the same level of cat puns or even more. But you've already said we're getting dog puns this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the idea is to um, still retain. The cat puns that we've got, right? But we're we're making it we're making it mean more this time. So it's kind of back then the idea be- behind the cat puns in the first game was that we would just use it as often as we could, right? So so in that sense, I think it m- made some people. I, I, actually, I'm not so sure about this, but uh, we've had some feedback that there were too much cat puns. So I, I'm not sure about that. But we're definitely making the cat puns mean more this time. So we're using less of them. We're making them more meaningful in the sense that. We're using them in places where they would actually be uh, funny or actually make more impact as you're reading it, right? So we're not just using it everywhere, every chance we can right now, but we're using it in places that has the most impact for the players while reading it. And to balance this out, we're adding dog puns as well. So uh, the cats, they, they, they talk in cat puns, but the dogs, they, they talk in dog puns, right? So it's kind of like, you can think of them as like the languages of each a race in, in in a sense so there will be occasions where like the cats won't understand what the dogs are saying because their dog puns are you know dog puns and, and cats don't get that and stuff like that so it's, it's pretty much like it's almost like their language in a sense yeah uh with two do you intend to to flush out a full rpg story that runs into several tens of hours or is it going to be like the first game where you work towards enticing the replayability of a shorter story so we're still going to do that replayability aspect, but on top of that, right, the main quest itself is is already going to be double the length at the very least of the first game. So it's going to be um, in Cat Quest One there were ten main quest missions 
But in CapQuest 2, there's going to be at least 20, so it's already double the length. In terms of in terms of just general content, uh, there's already double the content. So there's there's two kingdoms to explore. Um, besides besides felling that, which is the cat kingdom, you'll be able to explore the Lupus Empire as well, which is the dog kingdom. And uh, both kingdoms are on the map itself, so there's no loading between. So you could actually walk across the ocean and reach the dog kingdom completely seamlessly. Uh, so that's something really cool. And yeah, so expect the same amount of content from Cat Quest, but on two, but doubled the size because now they are basically two two kingdoms. So yeah, we're we're really excited about that, and uh, it's also killing us because there's just so much shit to do now. But yeah, hopefully it'll be it'll be fun for the fans. Hopefully, yeah. I think it will be. I think everybody will really enjoy that. If you cool. were to look, if you were to look beyond Cat Quest Two, right. what mm-hmm. do you have other ideas for the types of games that you would like to create? Yeah, I mean, currently right now our plan is to continuously build this Cat Quest IP, right? So like. IGN was actually asking us how many CatQuest games are there going to be. I think at, at that point during during the interview, I was I wasn't really thinking straight, and I, and I kind of said there will be nine CatQuest games because you know cats have nine lives and stuff like that. But we don't actually, yeah, we don't actually plan to uh, make nine games. Like it, there would have been nine main CatQuest games. So our plan is to kind of build different games, but all in the CatQuest universe. So the the whole world of CatQuest is, is super huge, right? There, there, there's dogs, there's, there's, there's cats, there's mice, there's bears. There's all sorts of stories that we could tell, right? So we have ideas. So far, we have ideas of making a stealth-based uh, game set in the CatQuest universe. Maybe you play as a cat burglar and you're like robbing museums and stuff like that. Uh, we have other ideas of creating a Metroidvania where, uh, where you play as a, 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 a character that's like going through this a dark castle and, 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 and you're trying to defeat a, a main villain or something like something like Hollow Knight. You know? So with all these ideas that we want to like go ahead with uh, for our future project. So, so these games won't be like sequels to quest. It'll be completely different games, but set in the cat quest universe. So that's kind of what we're going for, right? Going forward uh, from here on out. So we'll, we'll see, we'll expect, we'll expect to see cat quest fighters in the future, right? <laughs> probably i mean it wouldn't be called cat quest fighters right it'll be like a totally it, it'll be its own game its own name but it will be very clearly linked to the cat quest universe Excellent. and uh yeah yeah so uh, the, the main goal is to build all the characters build and and, and hopefully our, our one of my partners his his grand his grand idea is that it will end up like the ninth game will be like this massive MMO uh, where where players could play as any race they want like and just and just interact with people in a, in a huge world and stuff like that but that that will be like many many years in the future I, I look forward to that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so 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 do we you know for for us it's a it's a big celebration this month not only is this right. our anniversary for on the shelf it's also the two-year anniversary of the Nintendo Switch. What has been the biggest surprise to you about the Switch so far? I think the biggest surprise for me is how much I would actually love playing on my Switch. So when, when I first heard the idea, right, I was like, okay, I think this is going to be my new uh, handheld console. Uh, like it will be my replacement for the 3DS or something like that. But there's been so many quality games that have come up for the Switch. I mean, from Zelda to Pokemon uh, to even a lot of the remake. Uh, I mean, a lot of the remasters, right? Like, I just bought Onimusha for uh, for the Switch, which is something that I unfortunately missed out on when I was younger. So it was a great experience to re- to, to play the game again all these years 
in the future. And strangely, the game still holds up. So, so yeah, it's a it's it's really a console that have that that has really overtaken my PS4 and my Xbox One as like my my primary console. And I was really really surprised about that. Like I I would think because as as it's always been right, like the Wii, the Wii U, and and all the Nintendo consoles for the past four generations have always been that secondary console you would get in addition to your PlayStation or your Xbox. But currently for me right now, uh, my Switch is my main console and, and I'm always looking forward to playing all the new indie games or whatever new like AAA title that's coming out for the Switch. We can yeah. relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what uh, what game are you looking forward to seeing on the Switch or, or you wish would come to the Switch? I, I'm not sure if this, gonna be, if this is a popular opinion, but I actually want uh, like Wind Waker HD on the Switch, like really bad. Like I, it, Wind Waker was one of the Zelda's I missed out on somehow, and uh, I missed out on it again when 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 the the HD version came out. So I really want that on the Switch, and um, and there was that rumor of Persona Five coming on the Switch as well, right? I'm not sure if it's been confirmed already, but I really want to play Persona Five again on my Switch, even though I've already completed it on on on, on, on my PlayStation Four, but. Yeah, so right now these are my, these are the two games I really really want to switch. And Nintendo, please make it happen. <laughs> we'll we'll yeah. talk to we'll talk to Reggie for you. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much, man. Yeah, make sure he knows. <laughs> yeah. Last year, Nintendo gave us some interesting surprises. What surprises do you think Nintendo has in store for this coming year? Huh. Hmm. Surprises. I think. I think maybe we'll get to see. A brand new IP, probably. Uh, they will come out of of Nintendo. Well, I mean, a lot of us were kind of expecting a Switch Pro to come out, right? Like like a more uh up version of the Switch, because as as fortunately as we all know, like the Switch is the most powerful thing out there. So there's lots of games that have run pretty uh poorly on the Switch. Uh, so a, a more powerful version of the console would be hugely appreciated. So I, I don't I don't really consider this a surprise because I think Nintendo is definitely gonna gonna do this because history has proven has proven so right I mean like uh, the 3ds has had the has had the 3ds XL which is and and the more powerful version of the the 3ds that came out uh, near the end of its life cycle so I'm pretty sure Nintendo would do that and I'm hoping they would because I definitely want to spend my money on 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 something like that. We're on the final question now and this is this is a bonus question. Generally, generally, we 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 take one question at the very end that doesn't really have anything to do with the topics that we've been discussing. It's just a random question, and we get people's responses to it, and everybody gets okay. a different question. So okay. your question is: uh, finding food in dungeons and sewers is very commonplace in the gaming world, and for the most part, it's going to heal whatever ails you when you consume it. So right. what what food? Could you not resist, even if you found it inside of a dusty box in a basement of a haunted house? Oh, it's definitely a fried chicken, man. I wouldn't be able to resist that. So in, in Singapore, right, there's like this local fried chicken shop called Arnold's that is really, really amazing. So I, I, I go there to eat like once every week. So if I were to find that fried chicken in a box, right, like no matter how dusty it is or like in what kind of box it's in, I'll definitely try it out. Like I'll, I'll, I'll take one bite and if it tastes bad i'll just like dump it away i guess but yeah fried chicken for sure he he had that answer really quickly (laughs) yeah Yeah, no i mean like damn man fried chicken man 
It's going to be that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Desmond, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. Do you have anything else that you want to share with anybody that you want to say to the listeners? You know, it's, it's a big episode for us. Uh, one year anniversary of our podcast, two year anniversary of the switch. So if you have anything else you want to talk about, let us know. Now's the time. I mean, thanks for having me on the show, man, especially for this anniversary. It's like, uh, it's a real honor. And, uh, and yeah, I think in terms of stuff that we could talk about, I mean, definitely, definitely uh, check out Cat Quest 2. We're going to be actually demoing the game at GDC. So if anyone is in San Fran or going to the event, do come hit us up. We'll let, we, you can try the game right there. Yeah, so hopefully, ho- hopefully uh, Cat Quest 2 turns out great. And, and yeah, do follow us on, on, on Twitter or, and, and like our Facebook page to hopefully learn more about the game, stuff like that. Yeah. You want to drop I, those addresses? You want to tell everybody what the ad is and, and where the Facebook page is? Yeah, so uh, Twitter is at the General Bros. Um, our Facebook page is, I guess you can just search for CatQuest and, and hopefully it'll, it'll turn up. Yep. I don't have the so, actual link with me right now. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody make sure you guys do that. Get out there, go, go check out the Facebook page, go follow them on Twitter. I got to tell you, I, I've been following for a while. It's great when, uh, there's cool little tweets, especially when you guys end up retweeting something from somebody that's been playing the game. Yeah, 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 and and yeah, hey, congrats on you guys for like for 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 having your anniversary, man. It's it's, it's going great. It sounds sounds good for you guys. The uh the Cat Quest Facebook page is facebook.com slash catquestgame. There we go. Right, I think so. Okay, hey, thanks for that. <laughs> Again, thanks for dropping by. We really wish no you the best of luck on Cat Quest Two. We're looking forward to playing it. All oh, right, awesome. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah. We hope well, to um, talk to you soon. Maybe when Cat Quest Two comes out. Oh, absolutely, man! Just, just, uh, just let us know, uh, and we'll and we'll just set a date aside, and I'll be happy to talk to you guys again. You guys are a lot of fun. Man, that was a lot of fun to talk to uh, Desmond. You could tell that he is super excited about what they're doing. They're they're really into their whole franchise thing. Yes, they they are. They're pushing right along and, and cranking out the, the, the good work that they're, they're doing on their games. They're really dedicated to the games. And, uh, hopefully by now, Desmond's feeling a little bit better. He was under the weather during that interview. So hopefully he's feeling a little bit better now. But you wouldn't really know, man. He still had a lot of energy. It was great to, uh, great he had to more energy than I would have being <laughs> sick. <laughs> he had more energy sure. than you did. Hey, he has more energy than I do now. <laughs> That's for true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's Cat Quest 2 is going to be really cool. The idea that you can play as a dog, too, and have that kind of parallel uh, thing going on, and you're playing really co-op, even if it's single player. You're still, you have two of the characters that you got to roll with and the different abilities, and plus, who, gosh, who knows what kind of dog puns they're going to come up with, right? I have a feeling there's going to be some good ones in there. I totally agree. Totally agree. The uh, really neat thing about this episode is not only do we get to talk to each of these different people. I mean, we've had game retailers. We've had game developers. We've had, we've had publishers. We've had, you know, uh, a wonderful content creator. Now, something of even different flavor. We're getting to our collector profile. We're going to roll right into this, and you're going to learn who we're talking about. 
And now we're here at the collector profile for the month. So we'll let our guests introduce themselves. Who are you and what do you collect? Hi, I'm uh, CM5871 and I uh, collect Switch games primarily. Is that all? A uh, couple, couple of comics here or there. All right. What about them man. laser discs? CEDs, man. Need to go older. So why are games important to you? I mean, games give me kind of an escape, you know, being able to jump into like a good story. To me, it's like the new book or movie, essentially. Kind of gives you that nice experience and a kind of escape from reality. What was the first video game that you ever played? Probably, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a um, Donald Duck game for a color computer back in like the late 80s, early 90s. And what are your top three favorite games of all time? Definitely have to go with Binding of Isaac. Metal Gear Solid is a huge one. And then um, Final Fantasy 3 slash 6 for the Super Nintendo. So we got more Final Fantasy in here, but at least this time it's a really good one. I'm not I'm not giving Welch credit for his answer last episode. And yeah, I'm not I can't I can't give him credit for that one. But Bonnie of Isaac's awful recent. That's kind of interesting that it's already hit your top three of all time. Yeah, just the replayability of it. It's just a huge thing for me. I've sunk just in the Switch version over a hundred hours easy. And of course Metal Gear Metal Gear Solid is a solid choice. The game is so good. My son is named David after David Hayter, the voice of Solid Snake. What's the worst game you've ever played? Oh, geez. And why is it Troll and I? (laughs) I mean, Troll and I is up there. I mean, that's just bad. But I don't know. I've played a lot of bad games. I mean, one Chambara Bikini Samurai Squad for the 360 sticks up there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Pump your brakes. Come on now. (laughs) That was a random buy I bought years and years ago, and that was just, that was bad. What was get, the worst? Uh, out of those two, I mean, Troll and I, just because I literally physically can't play the game, just because it drops down to about two to three, you know, FPS. All right, we'll go with that one then. What is your most prized video game-related possession? I have two. One is I have an Amiibo kiosk that got taken down, and then another one is the... um Metal Gear Solid 3, they had a um, basically a, like a fake cardboard record where the center popped out and it was a CD and that has the main theme song Snake Eater on it. Yeah, you got to pick between those two. There's no there's no playing. Actually, there is playing. Fa- that's exactly what we're doing here. We're playing favorites. So you got to pick. I probably have to go with the Metal Gear just because that was kind of hard for me to find because that was a Tokyo Game Show, I think, 2008 exclusive. I kind of feel like this is going to be obvious, but... Who is your favorite video game character? Well, yeah, Solid Snake, easy. So what is or was your first adventure in collecting before the Switch? Probably PS2. Uh, I worked at GameStop a number of years ago, and that allowed me to kind of get some of the harder-to-find games like Rule of Rose, um, the Marvel's Capcom 2, the Shimigami Tensei, uh, Digital Devil Saga 1 and 2, things like that um, were a big collector item for me to find. Then Atlas games in general. What game do you want to see get a physical release? Probably the main one that I really want, and I know I'm like one of two people that want it, is Heroes of Monkey Tavern. I don't know what it is about that game, but I mean, it's just, it's just so good, and I think it really deserves a physical release. All right, here's here's the big one now. Name 
three collectors that you challenge to be guests on our next episode? I'd have to say one of them is from Twitter, Joshua French. I think he would be great for this. Schlib would be another one. And let's do, for a fun wild card, I'd say um, uh, Faye, just because I think, you know, that crazy German guy. Good choices all around. Um, Now, this being kind of a special episode for us, I did want to expand a little bit more than just the 10 questions and kind of mention to everybody that CM is the reason why the NS Collectors subreddit was started. And I wanted to ask you, what made you start that? Basically, I've always been like an early adopter of consoles, you know, always buying them day one, but I never really like like hardcore collected them. And once the Switch came out, had an absolute blast with Zelda. I was like, you know what? Why not start trying to collect a lot of games for? And I was going through and I was finding all these games. I was like, all right, let's kind of expand to, you know, other regions and things like that. So I started to look into it. No one really had like a list going. And I was like, all right, let's, you know, let's make a subreddit. Let's make a list. Let's try and make this, you know, something easy to track. And then it just literally blew up from there. And then subsequently you created a matching discord for it as well. Yeah. um, That was just because I was like, hey, you know, uh, the subreddit, you know, once it hit like, 100 subscribers i was like oh man this is huge for me you know let's make a uh discord that we can all chat with and you know play multiplayer games and it just again it just kind of exploded i can tell you that i'm happy to be a part of that community the discord itself it's taken on you know a lot of a lot of good life and we've had a lot of uh, special guests that we've been able to bring and uh, share with everybody and they a lot of them stick around and stay with us and and those that don't pop in every once in a while. And it's great for everybody to be able to have one place to go where they can see and talk to everybody, which is, you know, just a, a great experience for fans. So thanks for creating what became what it is now, you know, creating that subreddit and subsequent discord. It's been a great place to hang out and, you know, talk to everybody about the switch. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it was just a great little idea I had and I'm great. So many, things you know came from it like the this podcast is easily one of the podcasts i listen to a lot and uh i don't think it would be here without it that's it's up to up to every uh, other people might have a different idea as to whether or not they should be thankful for that but we appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> well thanks a bunch for uh for dropping by no thanks for having me i don't know how well we're going to uh be able to get any of the three people that all the, the people keep naming, but I guess we can try. We're, we're doing open call outs to people. We'll see who, who comes forward. I can tell you right now that there's already at least two people, one of which was a call out who I've talked to that is willing to come on. Ooh. I'm not going to name names because we're not there yet. Yeah. But they know who they are. They, they know who they are, but. Let's see how many people know who our next guest is. Well, this is an interesting one, right? I mean, these folks have yet to actually publish on the Switch, but, man, the stuff they've got coming down the pipeline, and it's, Uh trust me, I've gotten to know these folks a lot lately. You, You want some of these games. You will be buying some of these games that they've got. You might even be buying all of these games when you realize what's happening with them. Special reserve games. The folks that brought the 
beautiful 224-page Ammonomicon with Enter the Gungeon on PS4. That thing is, it's wonderful, and that is one of the games that they've got in their pipeline for the Switch. So let's hear all about it. It is our pleasure to welcome both Jeff Smith and Andy Grace from Special Reserve Games to On the Shelf. How are you both doing today? Hooray! We're good. We're good. Yeah, just holding it down in Dallas, Texas. And Berkeley, uh, California here. Yeah, yeah. so uh, we've got uh, two time zones here together uh, and in, in a third time zone <laughs> talking to you. So we're creating magic. That's the kind of magic we like. Let's take it back in time. Each of you have been involved in some very interesting things in your previous lives. Can uh, can each of you share a little history from before the creation of Special Reserve? Where, where do you want to start? Like how far back? In the beginning. <laughs> uh, where'd you go to high school? Oh, that, see, I'm from St. Louis, so that's where a lot of us would start. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know, Smitty. I mean, like, ladies first. You go ahead. Well, you want me to tell your story then? (laughs) (laughs) As far as I know, Andy Grace has always just been there with me making it happen. No, I mean, me then on, uh, I guess I really, my career career started probably around 1996 uh, when I officially joined Terminal Reality, Inc., TRI, which was at the time, I really was part of the company in 95, but I didn't come down and join till 96. But in 95, they were exclusively a Macintosh uh, developer making a game called Terminal Velocity for the Macintosh. And uh, some people at Microsoft saw it and went cuckoo crazy over it and wanted them to port it to this new thing, Windows 95. (laughs) And uh, so my cousin was one of the founders of that company. And um, said, hey, man, something's about to happen. You want to come down? And I said, absolutely. And, uh, you know, drove down I-35 out of Oklahoma City as fast as I could to Dallas or actually to Louisville, Texas. And and that's how it started. So anyway, Terminal Reality, great games that we did for Microsoft. And then that was kind of the end of the 90s coming when a lot of the developers were so exceptionally good and the hardware was fighting to keep up and big publishers all of a sudden we're trying to, you know, take all the credit for all the hard work of these great developers. So we had this mission of putting our logo on the front of our boxes. We thought developers needed their logo on the front, not the publishers. So anyway, this, thankfully this guy named Mike Wilson and Harry and Rick and Jim and Doug had this little company called gathering of developers or God games that they were, it was being stoked out of uh, what would be the ashes of ion storm. If anyone remembers Ion Storm, came out of id Software with John Romero and uh, Mike Wilson. Anyway, we started a, a developer-driven publishing company called Gathering of Developers, where five different developers all had equity stakes in the publishing house. And then the publisher was run on a very small, what we called five fingers of the hand, five people. And uh, so it was very efficiently run. Developers had more control of their development budgets, the development process. And by goodness, their logos were on the front of the box. So anyway, that's how I got my start. So I don't know how how long you want me to talk, but that's how I got my start in the industry. And by the time we sold God Games to Take Two and moved on to do something called Substance TV, I think we had collectively, I had done, I had worked on 36, 36 different games by the time that happened in 2001. So, 
It was really, I mean, in a very short amount of time, probably one of the wildest rides anyone could ever imagine. And the trajectory was straight up. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, hold on, hold on, people. We are creating the, like the future, you know? And so anyway, it was just great. It was, I was so thankful to be surrounded by probably the most amazing, talented people you could ever pay to be around. And I was actually being paid to be around them. So, hmm. you know, it was just amazing. Uh, you couldn't, I don't think you could ever recreate that moment in time because technology and software has progressed you know, <laughs> beyond anybody's wildest dreams. So those, those days, wild, wild west development and C++ scratching it out, making it happen. Those days are kind of gone, you know, but they've progressed. They've gotten better, right? <laughs> so anyway, how about that, Andy? We're, we're, let's, we, let's talk about your cool stuff because trust me, Andy, <laughs> Andy, Andy's history is so different than mine, but, but very similar. I don't know. It's not that different. I mean, uh, I had 36 jobs before I settled. <laughs> <in the United. laughs> Amen to that. Uh, I, you know, most, most, most recently, most interestingly, I come at this from the entertainment angle and from the creativity angle. I've worked a lot with artists, with music, with film. I've always had an interest in film. And in fact, I mean, I spent, you know, something like 15 years working for the Burning Man organization, running communications, all different areas of business. And that included the media operation and the filmmaking that happens there. And I've always been interested in film. I've made a few movies myself and when in 2015, Mike Wilson wanted Devolver to start distributing films, I helped to start Devolver Digital Films. So that's, you know, where I came into the family officially. And when we started Special Reserve Games, it was kind of from that same point of view. Like for games, indies have an opportunity to do great because people support indie creativity and um, they really seek it out and there's a whole fandom around it. And it, it was very easy to see how you could create something collectible and wonderful for people who like, you know, something a little off the beaten path, whatever that looks like. And I've always been interested in that on the on the film side, on the art side. And I love working with creatives. And so that's that's where I come from on this. You know, as a lifelong gamer, it was it was awesome to be invited to do something that had to do with games and my kid thinks I'm the coolest person in the entire world. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's a win-win all the way around. You mean it's so not true? Well, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I like to leave that to the audience to decide, <laughs> as my, my dad would have said. <laughs> yeah, we, we all know our what year we were born. And so each year we're like, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I come at it from a, a point of view of, of business and organization and communications and community relationship and community building and definitely working with artists and trying to make things bigger than they were without us, you know, like elevate a game to a new audience. What we do is take the IP of a digital game and expand it to those people who really want something they can hold in their hand or something that, that makes that world of that game real. And, and it's a piece of art you can put on your shelf. It's a, it's this beautiful printing that happens on the cover of, of what we make. And uh, I just, I love the artistry. It's, it's a fun, creative world to, to engage in. Mm -hmm. It is amazing. That's going to lead us up to Special Reserve. But how did the two of you come to start Special Reserve Games and what was your, what's your goal? 
And I think I was on the side of the street begging with a sign, if I'm not mistaken. And, and I just felt oh, sorry. I felt yeah. so bad. Well, I picked up a stray. Well, no, I, I was selling oranges, and uh, I was known for my oranges. And uh, I'm just but, really addicted to citrus, and so yeah, yeah we hey, called her the you want to start a game company. Yeah, Valencia <laughs> Queen, they say. Uh, uh, but yeah, Valencia, California. Well, <clears throat> no, in all honesty, it, it, I was just thinking about what we were talking about what, when you were talking about some of the history. There, th- and then this is a great question because when Andy and I first even started talking about Special Reserve Games, we were also talking yeah. about something else. <laughs> yeah. And there was a completely other pitch. And it was to the the partners of Devolver. And it involved a, uh, let's just say a road show, a consumer road show where Andy and I were going to build a, uh, a vehicle, if you will, and put it on the road for about six months a year, going to going to round to places or whatever. And to visit it was, all those people who can't necessarily make it yeah. to a games exactly. show in a big city. Yeah. We were going to go to uh, not even St. Louis. Where would we have gone in Missouri? <laughs> you know, uh, Columbia, Columbia. Columbia. Yeah, yeah Columbia. We were, you know, I would have gone to my hometown of Enid, Oklahoma, or uh, you know, something like that. Medium-sized markets that had hundred thousand people in it, that kind of stuff. For for what Andy just said, so we had two vibes of take bringing it to the people in a tangible way, you know, if you will. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to say this um, uh, out loud: Mike Wilson shot down our idea. Because he said it was too nice uh, and it was brand new. And he thought that that would ruin the image of Devolver. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if those were the exact words. Well, well he said it didn't fit our brand because it's too nice. It's, it, or it's, too, it's brand new. It doesn't fit the image. And it wasn't like a disparity. He was saying, you know, we're kind of uh, gypsies. You know, we're kind of traveling gypsies. So if we can roll it out with a quarter million dollar, you know, vehicle that looks shiny and brand new, that doesn't really fit who Devolver is. And I was like, you know, I didn't quite understand what he meant until we actually started working with him. So we can get into that later, but, but just their attitude and the humbleness that Devolver takes in their approach, uh, with all their developers. And that's starting with where it counts in the pocketbook and the, the, and the deals that they make with them are so lopsided in the developer's favor that then I understood why Mike Wilson didn't want this shiny new toy. I was like, why wouldn't you? You know, it's like, oh, I get it. Cause you don't want the developer pulling up in a more expensive car than the developer or, or the publisher, you know, in a more expensive car than the developer. So I went, aha. So anyway, it was just kind of one of those things. It would have been cool to fund, but, um, you know, it, it also showed that I needed to shut up and listen a little <laughs> bit instead of just talk all the time about what I thought was cool. And so this is this my- is when you went out and got the 73 Gremlin and started to customize that. See, well, that, yeah. see, and Andy already <laughs> now. Had. Now you're talking about the roadshow that we actually have a budget for. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> In fact, how did you know E3 was? <laughs> but uh, but no, I mean, it, it really was. And I mean, if Andy, you want to take it off. It was uh, Andy and I trying to do something together. It was just the right time. We and we were talking about a couple of things for a couple of reasons, and um, it just happened to be with our family. Well, uh, in physical releases, I mean, if I made, I, you know, the Devolver catalog being ripe for such treatment, you know, we had a friendship with Limited Run uh, that ev- emerged right about then, and instead of just outsourcing, let's do some physical 
you know, versions of, of Devolver titles, it was really easy for that to be the first place that we focused because, you know, that's where we're cutting our teeth on making physical releases out of digital games. And I think in the future, we want to work with a lot of other titles, but there's so much good stuff and such a developed fandom for these titles. But, you know, no matter what you say, as much as I love indie games, no matter what you say about them, there may be people that haven't bought some of the best indie titles because they're not physical yet. True. And and collector's editions are one and one wonderful thing we can make, but some people just collect physical. I collect physical. I play physical. I don't I, I don't like to buy just a code. I like to hold it in my hands. And mm. so there was this opportunity for Smitty to apply what he knows about manufacturing and all the things that he knows how to juggle um, and, and, and bring some, you know, titles that may not be the first in line for mainstream physical treatment unless somebody picks them up and, and shows them to the world, you know, and that's what I've been doing with, with the movies that we were working on and, and, and all of that for a long time. So just mm. making it a little bigger, like I said, bigger than it would be without us. Yeah. Expanding the IP. Cause even after all of the video games that we had worked on early on, you know, the boxes were still so cool in the nineties. So, I mean, even to drop some names of people like, let's say the last game we worked on that I worked on before we sold God games was Max Payne the very first Max Payne. And that, you know, it was before it was a movie or anything. And that was when Remedy Entertainment was doing it, which we signed in 1998 as a tech demo called Bullet Time. And uh, <laughs> so just by the way, that game took five years to make. The first game we put out was Jazz Jack Rabbit 2 by Epic Mega Games, maker of Fortnite. So go look up Jazz Jackrabbit 2, kids. And, uh, you know, but the boxes back then, we put so much love and thought. Just we're talking late 90s, early 2000s, not, you know, World War II era. Uh, and, and we cared if there was an emboss or a deboss or a foil stamp. And us as developers, we demanded that publishers spend as much as they possibly could to make our boxes amazing because those boxes had to sit on that shelf and sell those games because there was no reliable internet, you know, rating sites back then. Blues News, GameSpot was just coming on, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so, there, you know, that you, those boxes were so important to us back then that the generation that still appreciates that physical game now also remembers you know, that those games did more than just hold a, a disc or a cartridge. You know, those, 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 those boxes were, were part of the art, you know, right. and part of what it was. And that just got lost in this compressed digital download world, you know? Uh, Andy, somewhere along the, the way you introduced a new friend, Sarge. Can you tell us a bit about Sarge and why they're an important member of the team? <laughs> well, you know, as we were developing, what special reserve games would be. And uh, we started thinking about our initials and what our logo would be. I think that it's, I can speak for both of us when I say that we're dog lovers. Mm. And uh, how do I say it? How do I say it without, without giving away the entire farm, Smitty? I mean, Sarge emerged as a, a, a voice for the brand, somebody that, that could speak to the fun of play because dogs love to play. 
and she is here to rescue you from the cold reality of digital <laughs> fandom. Digital fandom. <laughs> when, you, when you can't hold something in your hands and you're a huge fan of that game, but you know there's nothing on your shelf and nothing on your back, no t-shirt, no pillow on your couch, no sticker on your car that says how much you love that experience of playing that game. You know, you want me to talk about the booze? Bring you, you talk about the booze? <laughs> bring you those things, yeah, and especially handcrafted, uh, you know, bottled kind of way. So, well, remember also we were had a wink and a nudge to booze early mm-hmm. on because yeah. we were special reserve games, and um, it was special, special reserve, reserve and all that, and we had a handwritten font, and then we started gravitating toward I. Andy and I came up with some crazy stuff just during calls where we were trying to find textures and we were trying to find a wood grain that could be a background for something or whatever. And then we happened upon a barrel and then that barrel happened to be around the neck of a dog. And then we're like, oh, you know, every good liquor company has an animal as uh, like, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, think, you know, think of all of the booze you see, gray goose, you know, or, you know, what, or, hey, Jägermeister, <laughs> it's got some, the psychotic demon thing on it. But anyway, uh, so that was just, <laughs> we, we thought we needed an animal. And so the cold, hard reality, saving you, rescue dog, boom, St. Bernard just, you know, was an easy, and yeah. then we were looking at it with the, uh, the, we we're trying to get that wood grain off the barrel. And so that was it. And then we had an, a great artist uh, uh, concept up with us, uh, a guy named Chris mm-hmm. who, who drew her up, and uh, she became Sarge. Because she's a she. Yeah, she's a she. She's a and, female dog. And she barks at nasty people, and she woofs to praise them, and has all of her pups and Discord and Twitch that she watches over. <laughs> it, gives, it gives a really nice voice uh, for us to be able to talk to fans. Yeah. Um, and people love to share their pets with us. That's yeah. uh, And uh, we love that. Um, and, you know, I mean, the reason I love that is that when I visualize people who are playing, they're sitting with their pet next to them on the couch or whatever. And that's who sees yep. them game the most in their lives, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and they probably hear them curse the most about the games that they're playing. And right. I just think it's fun. It's really fun. And so Sarge is, is, uh, you know, she's a dog that works for a video game company and she's our boss. And that's right. Cause we that's, make that's, games yeah. and we can still have fun and games all this fun. is fun. It's amazing. And I just un- unfurled. I just f- came across in cleaning out my office, a bunch of the fetch balls. <laughs> um, we had, t- you know, real tennis balls made with our logo on them. So people could play actual fetch with their dogs. I got a chance to see one of those. Yeah. Dude, yeah, so, really? Yeah. We should send you some if you don't have them yet. Yeah. Smitty, but, uh, Smitty put one up on the camera one day so that I could take a look oh, at yeah. those things. It's wonderful. Oh, yeah. We need to mail you one. And we're talking about fetch, fetch too. Yeah, we were going to do fetch. <laughs> if we redid the yeah, tennis ball, it was going to be don't, called fetch. Don't say something. anything else. Yeah, and then fetch we're doing two fetch is two. <laughs> but, but what we'd like to do with fetch two, whatever it is, is turn it in eventually to not just a fun giveaway, but maybe something that we could do a suggested donation or a set price, either one and sell it from our website, sell it at different shows with, you know, the majority of the proceeds going to no kill shelters for, uh, blankets and chew toys, you know, just something like that. 
for right dolls, on. you know, something like that. So we'd love to eventually turn this in, not just a kitschy thing, you know, the, as a giveaway at E3, but actually something that, you know, hey, if, you can give some toys to some dogs at a, at a shelter that makes their life a little better that week. All right. You know, I'm down for that. So Winnie, any, anyway, that's our feel good that we want to get to. And Sarge is going to lead the way. <laughs> that's, that's a wonderful cause though. I, I think uh, everybody should be able to support that. Jeff, can you kind of tell us, walk us through a little bit about what you've done to this point on the PlayStation side? I mean, there's some really great titles that you've published for the PS4. Oh yeah. Well, really shadow warrior two um that we did and it not only included shadow warrior two but the original shadow warrior both on their own discs uh in the case it was the only double disc ps4 that we did (laughs) oddly enough people told us they didn't realize that the case included both discs until they actually got it. I think like 80% of them. So bad boy for me, not being able to market our, my own game. Right. Everybody loves playing. Yeah, exactly. And also that way, Oh my, the marketing on that one, but it's never runs out of fun. Little (laughs) jokes. Oh no, not at all. Little Wang jokes. It was crazy. And that was fun because Shadow Warrior 2 for PC was actually the first project done for Devolver uh, before it was Special Reserve Games. If you look, if you go back and look at Shadow Warrior 2 for the PC, uh, it just said Special Reserve written on the front of it. Like it was Shadow Warrior 2 Special Reserve, you know, and that's kind of, that's how the name of the, our company, of course, got started. But, uh, so I love that one. Uh, of course, we did Strafe. Uh, S-T-R-A-F-E, Strafe, First Person Shooter, 1996 in a box, uh, uh, and then Runer, um, and Absolver, and then most recently Enter the Gungeon, all for PS4. And then we've got three more, one, two, three, four, five more PS4 games in 2019 coming. Uh, the only ones I can really officially acknowledge are uh, oh God, I almost messed up. Minute and Downwell <laughs> that we're doing for Switch and PS4 simultaneously. And then very nice. Those, yeah. But anyway, so, so just great, great, great PS4 titles. Yeah. And, and you mentioned in there, uh, Enter the Gungeon, which of course is this wonderful little, uh, I don't know what we want to call it, a combo pack, a bundle, a bundle, bundles the word. It is a bundle. Can, mm-hmm. It is a bundle. It contains the Aminomicon. So what, can you tell us what inspired the creation of that physical copy of the Aminomicon? <laughs> in an odd way, when you see it in real life, it looks like the Bible. Uh, the, <laughs> it's it, true. It does look like the Christian Bible if you don't, uh, you know. It's, it's not. We it's don't. not. And we it's not religious. We're not in bigger any way. than Jesus or anything. No, <laughs> my lord. I, yeah, we're not trying to bring religion into it at all. But uh, but it is a six by nine case cup, co- you know, hardcover book, and it's got this beautiful um, brown maroon kind of uh, moleskin, uh, faux moleskin cover that it just kind of looks like that old rich book, you know. And that's something that comes to mind. But the inspiration was Dave Crooks uh, at uh, Dodge Roll. And, uh, Nigel Lowry from Devolver Digital. And though mm-hmm. I think Nigel probably loves Enter the Gungeon more than any game ever created. Well, I'm almost sure. I mean, <laughs> I think he's, I think he's not shy in saying it's probably one of his favorite games ever created. Maybe one of. How about that? I don't want to put words in his mouth, but Nigel loves Gungeon. And I remember asking Nigel, 
hey, man, you know, we do do premiums and stuff. What would you love to see come to life? He didn't even say anything other than the Ammonomicon. Uh, we talked to Dave Crooks. Dave Crooks, as a developer, what would you love to see come to life? What would be the most fantastical, crazy thing you can tell us about your game? He said, I'd like to have a real-life Ammonomicon. <laughs> so the inspiration came from the people who made the game and loved the game. And it was as easy as that. And then, then the work began because, <laughs> I mean, in the end, it's a 224-page uh, case-bound book with tab dividers, custom in sheets every book is sequentially numbered shrink wrapped um and if you have a bundle it's also sequentially numbered uh, number matched to the game so you have number four game you have number four book so um and we made 3500 of those books in canada (laughs) had them delivered to dallas and i'll so i mean it's just this beautiful uh story of actually how they came to the idea started, but man, I got to tell you, if it wasn't for probably three dedicated months of our art director, Michael Sanders and Dave Crooks and myself and a couple other people helped along the way too. But I mean, the, those two people daily in their press check and proof and through this digital proofing system, um, it took a long time for us to actually get this book right. So I'd say it took about four months of just straight killer work. <laughs> so the inspiration became, oh my God, <laughs> we, we are creating something huge and amazing. And if we get it wrong, people are going to just kill us. So uh, the inspiration became fear. <laughs> what a good inspiration. I got to tell you, yeah. I've had hands on for my copy of the Ammonomicon. And for the listeners that maybe haven't picked up a copy of this, there are still some bundles left. Make sure you get out there and, and grab one if you want a copy of the, of the book. Cause these, the uh, books that were sold standalone are gone, long gone. And yeah. uh, the bundle is the only way right now that you can pick those up. But it is wonderful. I love that thing. It is gorgeous inside and out, cover to cover. All the artwork is there. It's fantastic. The the paper quality is wonderful. And, man, you guys did a tremendous job. I I kudos for that. Yeah. And there will not be a second pressing. I mean, that's it. That was the book. I mean, we'll do something else. Done. Yeah. Yeah. Switch is coming, but it's not going to come with an Ammonomicon. Not like that. That's guaranteed. Guaranteed. <laughs> that Ammonomicon was amazing to even be able to do once. And uh, so, yeah, no second pressing on that one, kids. So out of 3,500 uh, ever made, there's very, very few, several, just a few hundred left. And uh, and some of those we even held out that uh, they get sprinkled yeah. in at PAX West or PAX East sometimes. Yeah, we'll take them to shows and things yeah. like that. Or, but a handful you know, There have been some to give away to friends of the family and whatnot. But uh, other than finding us in person, like if you're looking at the whites of Smitty's eyes, you might be able to buy one. (laughs) Good luck. It's it's a big country. (laughs) Uh, The only chance right now is to get it with the bundle with the PS4 game. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get it right to you right away. We do ship globally. And that's the the fun part about this business too, Soul is. Oh, that's hilarious. It's so much fun. Well, yeah, the shipping. shipping? Well, well, but, the, but well, but it is fun that fifty uh, percent of our uh, actual consumers, the people that actually buy our stuff, are outside the borders of the United yeah. States. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, and, we love and, it. We love it. Yeah, it's amazing. So I, I do hate the fact that the shipping charges are 
you know, higher than anybody wants them to be. And Amazon and Amazon Prime, which I absolutely love. I was a Prime member. I've been a Prime member since day one, literally. And uh, but the Amazon and free shipping and Amazon Prime shipping, all that, that's just kind of distorted everybody's ideas about how much shipping really costs. <laughs> you know? And so that is an uphill battle for us a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's so hard. we're always, yeah. So Andy, trust me, fights the hard fight every day when it comes to warehouse and shipping efficiencies. And then of course, all, anything that's customer service related, but yeah, he, you don't want Andy's job. <laughs> Sorry. Are you ready to do it again, though? And uh, like, do you think we're we'll get a special what? item release for a finely designed, as finely designed, well put together as the uh, Amanomicon? What? Nah, you know, I'm giving up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going home. <laughs> I think that you know, over time, you learn what really works best with global shipping, what works best with prepaid duties. What works best with what arrives without getting damaged? I mean, we could have all kinds of fun making amazing premiums, uh, and we have. But um, you know, especially with something as small as switch packaging, I think we're kind of changing up our game a little bit, not to make anything that's any less impressive, but uh, to make something that's standardized so that we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time with shipping, for yeah, example. True. Um, and, and have surprises like last time we had prepaid, but now you have to pay this and, and you're going to have to go sign for it at your post office because it's irregular. Well, you can know? I give I them mean, an apples to apples reason here? Yeah. The, I mean, this is your bailiwick and I'm talking for yeah. you. Go ahead. Well, no, no, no. Let's talk about, I mean, what we're really, let's put real on the, the absolver mask was a lesson that we, we would not have known. And we kind of learned the hard way, really, uh, after doing it, because we said, let's make an amazing premium. Just what you're talking about, Sirix. You know, let's do something incredible. So we made a mask that weighs, you know, almost five pounds. It's pure resin. It looks like petrified wood. It's wearable. It has a stand. It has a, a book. It has stickers. It, and then we knew we had to ship it, so we needed to secure it in a you know, hardcore, you know, foam, styrofoam, we, styrofoam, it's case packed, you know, and then it came in this beautiful box. Well, the box measures 18 inches tall by seven by five. Why do I know that? Because when you come up with dimensional weight, you take height times width times length and you divide it by 166 in the United States. And that gives you what's called the dimensional weight. But for Central America and Europe, divide that by 134 you're putting everybody to sleep pal i know but but i'm saying but that gives you dimension <laughs> but that gives you dimensional weight and that is what you get charged on shipping so the 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 mask we made was beautiful it weighed five pounds it is impressive but because of the size of the box it, we had to ship it uh based on an 11 pound weight so dimensional weight is um, just it is boring and I'm putting the people to sleep with it. But if you want to know why shipping is high, it's something called dimensional weight. And that's from Amazon. Uh, but uh, it's because of those Amazon boxes. So anyway, we can make something amazing and oh, crazy. Uh, 
But if we can't afford to ship it to you, it's kind of really why are we doing it? it? So what Andy's saying, now that's why I'm just trying to back up her point to, you know, with boring details that uh, there is a legitimate, not a business reason, but an emotional reason because you go see an Ammonomicon and you're like, oh my God, I love Enter the Gungeon. What do you mean it costs $44 to ship it to me in Paris, France? That's a heartbreaker because you're not going to get to buy that thing. Or if you do, you're kind of angry and you should be. So anyway, shipping, it is the bane of the physical world. Yep. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about something a lot more exciting than shipping. I think, I think Syrix's next question will pep things up a bit. Reading ahead, are we? What? <laughs> uh, drop, drop the word the. <laughs> this this must be an exciting and busy time for you all. And not too long ago, you officially announced a few games that you'll be bringing to the Switch: Downwell, Minute, and the Messenger. You've also hinted at Enter the Gungeon in Greece. Uh, how are each of these coming along? Hmm. I don't know, Andy. How are they coming along? Smoothie, that's that's, that's you. Andy has, she knows. I know, but I make you say it. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well, why don't you say which one you think will be the first that we put on a, a pre order? Well, it's a horse race between Downwell and Mitt. Uh, oh, uh, as far as, oh, pre order. Uh, I think it'll be a down. Uh, I think the messenger is going to be our first pre-order game because they're, they're not, there's a difference between just taking the digital game and slapping it on a cartridge. It's not quite that easy. It does have to, you know, actually have a little something code wise done to it and be a physical version. And then to create a new ROM or, you know, we have to create a new ROM for physical has to, you know, lot check the whole thing through Nintendo. And by the way, same thing with PlayStation. You know, there's a totally a difference between the two files. So the yeah. digital, most of the pub or developers that we work with uh, don't even do the porting for the physical uh, because they don't even do the porting for the consoles themselves. There's a couple great houses out there. Some of these guys make the, the game for Steam. They use Steam's matchmaking system. They use Steam's installer. There's a lot of really cool shortcuts they get to take, but they don't port or they don't even code directly for PS4, uh, for Switch, or Xbox One even. And so they rely on supporting houses. So we work with a combination of all that stuff, just FYI. So it's not as easy as just, hey, we've got a finished game file in our hand, just burning a hole in our hand, you know, <laughs> ready to be replicated. Wish We're, it was true. <laughs> yeah, I wish it was true, but it ain't. Uh, it ain't. But uh, so I would say we are what I am calling full production mode of five games right now, uh, down well. And we just were looking at the instruction booklet today. We've got all these components that we're putting inside a Jiro, such an incredible developer to work with. He's so excited and, uh, has commissioned a bunch of, uh, artwork exclusively for the switch and for the ps4 uh covers uh that have never been seen before same with uh the minute guys and girl uh and same with the uh messenger um they're doing all custom a brand new artwork i Probably shouldn't say the artist name because I don't know if they wanted to say it yet. Mm-hmm. But uh, everything being done for the physical version is all custom art. So, like, all of that stuff is super exciting. And uh, we're 
right in the process of ordering cartridges from Nintendo, which takes about 30 days longer than the process of ordering discs from Sony. Yeah, I think we we started some conversations about stuff that we had upcoming, and we have a flurry of a lot of titles that are going to hit pretty quickly, at, and you know will be our yeah. first foray into Switch. But under the hood, it's meant a lot of development stuff, and it, it, the fact is that sometimes we may be able to say yes, we're going to do that, but there's other factors in the life of that particular title that. You know, there may be another upcoming announcement or some updates or, or you know, an artist that we need to contract to, to come up with something because they've moved on to another title. There's a lot of reasons why we're not always able to say this is the date we know we'll be able to ship that to you. Oh, yeah. Well, and just so the we, messenger. You know, look at. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold off. Well, we I'm just saying we hold off until we know when we're going to be able to ship before we announce a date. Because when it shifts, it sucks because I know that people literally schedule their budgets and schedule their spending on their favorite game absolutely by what they know is coming out and some bigger releases you're able to say it's going to be june 1st and for mm-hmm. us sometimes it's a moving target because we're just like a little slice of the universe now wait a minute <laughs> you guys said something about budget i don't understand <laughs> oh it's a thing <laughs> I, I heard it on tv once it was great. It made sense. But, you know, think of the messenger uh, that just, you know, they put out a trailer not too long announcing Picnic Panic, you know, a crazy fun DLC where, you know, it's like a ninja warrior Hawaiian beach vacation, you know, things just really off the mark. Well, so here we are now. That's obviously not released to the public yet. And I don't even I know they haven't even said when that's going to be released to the public yet. We actually know. And, but is, so we have to decide, we have to look, you know, is it worth holding the physical version one more month, two more months, three more months, four more months, might even yeah. be five more months. Yeah. So we're not talking about getting the day one patch. No, I mean, we want it to be playable. Yeah. Um, we're we talking about, are we going to hold it for all the latest and greatest DLC? You yeah. know, is it, it paid DLC? Yeah. It could be years. It could be never ending. And then, is it more valuable if it's paid DLC versus free DLC? You know, yeah, should we wait to incorporate it? It adds value, blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot of those things going on too when you've got developers that have the ability because of the tools that are at their disposal every day, you know, being able to literally code and publish almost in the same day, you know, a game that um, with, with those kinds of tools, they're creating, creativity is unbound but for us the bad news is physical world (laughs) is a lot different than the digital world so sounds good on (laughs) it's like it sounds good on paper well it sounds good on screen (laughs) 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 but uh yeah so anyway you know it's certainly we're probably pointing out some of the difficulties of it because it's really fun to navigate all these difficulties <laughs> at the same time of being able it's to work like on playing games. a video game. It is if you will. <laughs> it's like Tetris. It's like Monopoly and Tetris and Scrabble and uh, oh, and Clue. <laughs> right. Well, Andy? it was Just it was like Smitty. Clue. It was Smitty in the library with the candlestick. Um, yeah, generally, know, generally true. Was anyway. 
<laughs> so, so up to That'd this be. point, though, I mean, you guys have been generally focused on the Sony side of things. I know you've been ramping up for the Switch, and you know, yeah. we, we've talked about how this is all kind of new for you guys, and you haven't really published anything quite yet on the Switch. So, uh, there's a couple of key questions surrounding this idea. You know, first, tell us. Uh, your approach with the PlayStation products that you've taken so far, what kind of things might you be doing with the Switch that will kind of carry that legacy on? And then we'll then we'll go on to kind of a flip side of that afterwards. Hmm. Well, I do have an answer for this. Can I, yeah. I I've got one real quick one. Is the advantage that we have with Switch versus what we did with PS4 is we actually get to start from unit one that we've ever produced with Switch. So if we want to set a standard for what we consider physical Switch games, we've got that opportunity right now, which we are taking full advantage of, of what we're going to put inside the game, the quality of the paper, the paper processes, the double-sided art, the type of shrink wrap we use to make sure, you know, the type of Y-fold cello is perfect, that they've got a a cello cutting wheel that cuts it perfect. I mean, like details. And it's a small package, but you can fit some interesting things in there. Stuff in there. Yeah. Sony, you know, PS4 uh, was, uh, we came into an existing market where standards, if you will, of physical packaging had been sat and tried and whatever. I think we improved upon every one of them, but uh, it was just, we make stuff that we think is cool and that looks amazing, feels amazing, whatever. But it also that if we were going to buy this, <laughs> would we consider it? worth the money that we're paying for it and if i can say that yes about everything we make i mean really as long as i'm not lying to myself <laughs> you know that's uh that's kind of our approach so anyway th- that's i just wanted to get in the way of whatever we talk about on on uh how we're going to carry you know our i don't know our ladder of quality you know whatever we do <laughs> into switchville but that's an advantage that we have we get to set our own standard for what we consider Switch, because it's brand new for us. So anyway, I probably ate up all the oxygen in the room on that answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, let's let's look at this a little differently then, like I kind of said. Is there anything that you can share about what you might be doing differently with the Switch versus what you've done on the PlayStation previously? Nope. Next question. Andy, (laughs) (laughs) Andy, you got it. Don't make me give away our secrets. I mean, we were talking about them today on the stream. Well, that instruction booklet, you can maybe. We're, we're, uh, we're basically always going to do an instruction booklet. and I, I, One, one I page I'm long? Not. It's just a little pamphlet? Yeah, yeah, it's just a tiny pamphlet. No, what I mean, I think it'll be as beautiful as the printing processes that our printing nerd Smitty is known for already. And typically, once you we put a template in front of these developers. They're really excited about, you know, this opportunity to share their world in that way. And you can make them something that people are going to enjoy looking at. And it's also informative. We're also working on some paper craft Mm -hmm. uh, to bring, you know, objects from the world of the game to life without having to be a giant package to ship something you can put together and display that, you know, won't, you know, it's might come in pieces, but you can assemble right, it, that kind of stuff. Right. And that's that's really fun to jump to every time. Like, what would you make if you could make this? And mm-hmm. stickers. And I think stickers. those those would basically be standard from standard. us. Standard. Everything. Yeah. And, Soul love and, stickers. You know, there may be other titles that, that dictate other things and, and other CEs that we'll do, depending on what title it is. But that's true for PS4 as well. But I think that mm-hmm. those three things are gonna probably be 
you know, hotly collected and, and something that people are going to have a lot of fun with because we're going to put them mm-hmm. in everything we do on Switch. Yep. And one thing also that's a little out of the box uh, that we did, that uh, we announced today too on stream, I think, <laughs> was uh, Downwell is going to come packaged with the thing called Flip Grip, yep. which is made by Fangamer. And it's a uh, it's a handheld, it's an orientation thing for your switch. So you can remove the joy cons from the side, turn it vertical or orientation and put it in this flip grip holder, reattach the, the joy cons. It's not electrified. It's just holds it in a vertical. Uh, and, um, and then some games like Downwell have something called tape mode, T-A-T tape mode, where it changes the screen uh, orientation to vertical from horizontal. And so it, Ojiro, who, um, and Mop, you know, as part of Mop and uh, did Downwell, he wanted the, uh, flip grip number one because he thought it was the best way to play Downwell was have to have that orientation on the switch. And then two, he thought it would be great for the fans to actually give them uh, a, a great value for buying his game. Anyway, just all every Downwell that comes uh, that we sell for the twenty nine ninety nine, just the regular minimum will come packaged with the flip grip. And it's also a, uh, it's got a little something custom about it too. The flip grip is a one of a kind. Don't say too much. I'm not going to say what it is, but it's got a big picture. He's on the cover. But yeah, so, so we're taking other approaches maybe with switch that are a little departure from maybe what we were doing at PS4, maybe through some partnerships with other, uh, uh, other publisher, d- distributor, fund makers or whatever. And, uh, but, uh, so I think we're going to, you know, take the joy of printing on paper and, and tangible goods and trying to re-excite people that, you know, when you put something in their hand and they actually go, Ooh, what's that? I mean, that's, that's what we're trying to do <laughs> every single time. <laughs> There's got to be something about the game where you're like, Ooh, what's that? That's cool. You know? Yeah. There's always something. Now, does it feel a bit like you're working at a disadvantage coming to the Switch as a platform a bit later than some other publishers? I, I still feel like we're ahead of the game in a lot of respects. Yep. I mean, and for the fans, we are. I feel behind that we can't, for the fans, put yeah. shit on their hands. Yeah, definitely. It'd be great to have already shipped. But yeah. at the same time, I mean, we're not working on a let's be honest we're not approaching a super broad market we're targeting well we're not trying to do day and date releases no exactly we're we have a a specific audience and we've we've said how quickly we thought we'd be able to get into it and and told them what titles would be first and, well, uh, and, and you know, let's we're, be we're honest. kind of boutique and bespoke. <laughs> yeah, and and not a lot of people gave Switch as much promise as it deserved, or right. certainly as it got. Because right. a year ago, people were like, "Yeah, I don't know." You know, about half the people we talked about were still the jury's out. You know, on Switch, yeah. and that includes developers or porting houses or whatever. And um, so when you you know, there, there was some people in our orbit that weren't, you know, they were busy doing other stuff. They, they had never focused on switch yet. So, uh, we I had think actually- the verdict is back. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But you know, <laughs> there, there was, it, oddly enough, I, I don't remember exactly which games this was about, but I heard one person's engine, uh, was, was so incompatible with Switch that they actually had to port the game to Xbox One and then from Xbox One port, then they could port it to Switch. It was something weird and crazy about mm-hmm. their game engine. So, I mean, like you just heard some really, really odd, weird, twisted stories about Switch that caused a lot of these delays. And we're working with indie developers. You know, some of right. these are their first game or second game. Some of them have a lot of money. Some of them have, and, uh, you know, so they can't just turn on a dime. It happen like the big boys can't either. Right. So, yeah, there was a combo reason for us being so late onto the Switch game. But we're okay with it because we're not late to the game as much as just being able to develop, uh, they, you know, give the fans what they want in a yeah. timely manner. But you wait till you see what we put out physically. And I believe we're going to set a new standard for what the physical Switch game is. The, the next question that Soul wrote is not a question, more like a statement. <laughs> so uh, you guys have a special relationship with Devolver Digital. It must be nice to have such a wonderful source of amazing games to draw from. Yep. <laughs> Who could ask for anything more? (laughs) And before you do it, so adding a question mark to the end of that does not make it a question. (laughs) I mean, it's wonderful. And and as a lifelong consumer of independent content, I I completely respect the Devolver aesthetic because when I describe my my favorite genre of music or film or game or art or whatever... It's always kind of like, I know it when I see it. And that's their aesthetic is it. You don't, you can't say exactly what it is. You can name characteristics that a lot of their games have, but you know it when you see it. And there's this, yeah. this vein that they mine. And so <laughs> we don't want to do other stuff. It's just, there's so much good stuff. There. I know. <laughs> and, and by the way, the, you know, it, one of the guys is Harry. Uh, of Devolver, who, by the way, was at God Games, and before that, he was the CEO yeah. of Ritual Entertainment. And uh, but this guy, if you saw him in the streets of Austin, he he is uh, he's a fluent Spanish speaker. He loves to be kind of cowboy westerny. He loves <laughs> he can cook up a huge pot of crawfish. I mean, he's about as Texas as they come. Oh, I've ridden horses in very remote areas. Yeah. Harry, just me and, and him riding and the horses home. <laughs> Harry is sitting there, and he—I mean—he's like, oh, and he's—I think Harry's like Hotline Miami. It would, I—I can't remember. Like games like Hotline Miami. Harry Miller is the one of the guys that uh, put his hands on it and said, "Ooh, this one," you know. Yeah. And so it's just like like the craziest thing ever. You you think who who are the real. I, not, I'm going to say geniuses, but it's just because I don't know the right word to say. But the people behind picking these titles that actually get signed to Devolver, it's it's an, such an innate, you know, knee jerk reaction yeah, that he has. That yeah, it's a feeling. It's a feeling. Because if you met Harry in the street, you would not say he was the guy that published Hotline Miami. <laughs> I'm going to say you're almost certain he wasn't, but you know, he is. And yeah. that's, that's the beauty of this company or of that company. No, it's great. And it's, it's also afforded us a lot of other wonderful introductions and uh, you know, it's great to be part of it. Um, but I think if anybody wonders why we've spent so much focus in our catalog so far on them, it's <laughs> look at the catalog. <laughs> 
How yeah, can I mean, we, why wouldn't you? You know, we're talking to other people. We want to get to that point, but there's already well, and such also, a pipeline. And and don't and don't forget, Andy, too. What we're talking about, how great the Devolver guys are, whatever. So they're they're publishing deals and this and that. We've got some pretty happy developers in their group. So we yeah. talk to other developers that come at us from somewhere else that email us out of the blue. They are already unhappy. Right. And so that's and we're not a, a publisher. Yeah. And people see us as a publisher, no matter what. We're, but we're not like, oh, we're electronic arts publishers. We're not. And so, yeah, if you're coming at me and you're already upset with which you have a right to be, yeah. I'm already a little afraid because I'm like, yeah, man, you know, <laughs> we're uh, we're nice guys and uh, we risk money on making product and everything, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, you know, we don't we don't need to do. Yep. You got to bring that love first, you know, for us. And that's a, I don't think pretty Mike, Mike Wilson, some of those cats from Devolver that we've been knowing and loving and working with for 20 years on and off for 20 years. Those people are all about love. So do you think there will ever be a potential to publish a non Devolver game in the future here? I mean, yes. I, I mean, we've, we've been contacted by so many people. There's some that we have active conversations with. It's just, we're we're knee deep in it right now. I'm, of course. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying you should close the door on anything, right? I'm just kind of. Uh, no, people, I mean, people always want to know. Thing. We'll know it when we see it, and yeah. and when we can make the room and the you know circumstances right, so that we can just make that for them seamlessly without it being hassle with whoever published them already. Um, you know, the deals in this world are you have to navigate around them and. Right now, this is where this is where we're working, and we have a lot to do just here. But no, the yeah. door's not closed to that at all. Yeah, and it's such a long turn time. Every time we push the go button, any project, we're basically committing ourselves to a minimum of four months of work. You know, just on right. that one game, a minimum. You know, you so. hear there are two of us here. I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we yeah. have other people that we work with, and we're really lucky to have a great ecosystem of collaborators. And often the developers are ready to throw their shoulder to the wheel as well, but not always. And sometimes they've moved <laughs> on. And so there's a lot of heavy lifting that happens, yeah. and we're a scrappy little team. So, yeah. but there's room on the field for more players to bring more of these games to physical. Oh yeah! But right now, this is this is where we're starting from. It's a good place to start from. With, you know, yeah. with your PlayStation releases, you guys worked with our friends Josh and Doug over at Limited Run to release some variant covers. Will that tradition continue on the Switch? Yes. Yep. <laughs> Next question. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> we love them so much. They've been so good to us. They have shared, uh, you know, anything and everything that they know. They have helped to amplify. Uh, the works that we are already, you know, trying to promote. They've helped to amplify what we're doing. They've told us things under the hood. Uh, they, I can't say enough about how great they've been to us and for us and, and, you know, expanding the audience. There are people who just want to buy everything limited run. And even though our product is not part of their official catalog, we have, you know, we always do an alt cover with them. And I think there are people who are still considering that part of their collection there and 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 or their special reserve collection to have that alt cover we i think we share taste in some games and um they so far have expressed interest in anything i think that we've hinted at so far uh, right 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's Any the, titles that are in the pipeline, you can expect to see the. the yeah, it's always pretty fun to talk with Josh. Because <laughs> I'm like, hey, Josh, I got an idea. What do you think? He's like, yep. <laughs> and then Josh calls me. He's like, hey, Smitty, I got an idea. I'm like, yep. <laughs> so it's pretty easy to work with those guys. I mean, n- number one, they are passionate, passionate collectors and they like i was said within the last 24 hours about them they actually seek out these titles to publish that and they they aren't the ones that just get sent to them so you know i really appreciate those guys for forging a path that we got to follow a little bit on the ps4 world you know so can't say enough good stuff (laughs) yeah they're great guys Great, great team. The whole team in Apex, North Carolina. How you doing? Who's your favorite, Josh or, or it'll answer? Oh, definitely Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no. Uh, you heard it here first, Doug. <laughs> I, and that was I, Andy I was talking, just going to say way. that I talk to Doug more often myself, personally. So um, I'm. I got to go. My mom's calling me. I'm sorry. You guys had to find out this way. <laughs> I like Joe. I like Joe. Yeah, hey, Super Joe. Nest Joe. What a wonderful yeah, guy. Joe never gets any <laughs> he's, he's at least 50 years old now, right? <laughs> I don't know. We <laughs> <laughs> See, there we go. We said something together, right? There, there you go. Unre- unrehearsed. So do you, uh, do you prefer that they create variant covers for games you're releasing, or would you rather design variant covers for games that they're releasing? Or oh. what's the process that determines who does which? Well, we, I mean, that's a wonderful and interesting question, but it's either the developers or our artists that develop the variant covers that you see on limited run. Yep. They, um, don't, they don't have to lift a finger. They don't, they don't have to do anything except share the love. Yep. Uh, they, they get it. It is shrink wrapped, <laughs> but uh, you know, should we have some SRG variant covers of limited? Uh, <laughs> I like the idea. I don't know. You want to pay for them? That's, that's why you brought it up. I'm sure. Yeah, I think sure, that's, sure. I think it's one of the questions I wrote. I'm glad for that yeah. one now. Yeah. Well, if you want, I'll, I'll tell you how much they cost. I'll go in partners with you. You, me, send me a DM. All right. We'll do that. <laughs> we'll do that alternate cover thing you're talking about. We'll that's some, right. We can we'll do, do some that. OTS covers. Have you, have you got good credit, Cyrix? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> does your dad have any money? <laughs> <laughs> I know somebody that Are needs about $6,000. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have threes of dollars to my name, so don't worry, I'm good. Very nice, very nice. So, are there are there any games that you can tell our audience about that perhaps they don't know you're bringing to the Switch? Metal Wolf Chaos. Oh wait, no, that's just, Shush. Shush. That's just PS4. Uh, we don't have the Switch. Oh, hey, tell them the one that you're talking about today, Andy. I think we could that that wouldn't be a big deal, mm-hmm. right? It begins with the nailed to the wall. Oh, even really? I thought somebody said something. Yeah. Mm. Ah, I mm. thought that one was a go-go. It's well, a, I don't know. It's a delicate I mean, dance. Greece yeah. is the last one we've danced with. Yeah. Um, and I thing. think we're excited well, do, to work may, on Maybe that, you but. have a friend that could say it at some point. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. What? Did you just bless you? Oh, I'm sorry. I sneezed. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm already I'm already iffy about this next question. So, no, I'm asking it. I'm diving right in on this one. Genital jousting release for switch physical. Come on. Any chance of making that happen? We dare you to make that one happen. 
fun. <laughs> you think we could, we we almost could convince had, Nintendo? Listen, hold on. No, no, no. We almost had the physical PS4. It was about to happen. And I'm not kidding you. It, Nigel and those guys, they, they wouldn't release it digitally, you know, but uh, because no one will put that on their digital portal. But uh, but the physical version, there was there were people inside of Sony that were like, yeah, I mean, games should be on disc, you know, so but it didn't happen. So Sony is currently the king of censorship. So I don't know how well that would go now. (laughs) Well, I was sad to say they were the last to fall to the mandated uh, ratings for all physical, you know, we mm-hmm. thought it was, if, if it was going to retail, I understand the rating system. I got it. I'm not going to fight it, but it ratings. If you're doing direct to consumer and you're doing one, two and three age verifications during the order process itself, mm-hmm. um, then how much more age verification do you really, what are we trying? You know, does Amazon do age verification i mean probably you know what i'm saying so it's it's just the fact that we had to screw up people's art and and uh you know pay unnecessary fees uh for something that was going direct to consumer where we could almost guarantee they were at least above the age of 14 uh you know what were we talking about here so i mean it was uh it, I still am a little raw <laughs> about that damn rating thing <laughs> causing nobody could censorship. Tell. Nobody yeah, could tell. Yeah, I'm going to have to just quit talking. Well, I do want to say that as we kind of start to wrap up this special anniversary episode for uh, both On the Shelf and the Switch, because we are, as we've said multiple times in this episode, one year old and the Switch is now two years old. We do have a few questions that we've been uh, getting everyone's take on. So the first one, what has been the biggest surprise to each of you about the Switch so far? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of smart-ass ways to say, uh, you know, how I have to wrestle it out of my child's hands because it's mine. <laughs> but that's, that's what I've got so far. <laughs> well, I mean, for me, it's uh, first I because we've been talking business. It's a business. I was just. Crazy blown away at the uh, rapid adoption rate of Switch yeah. by, by customers. And the biggest surprise for me was that people that in our orbit, in our customer base that owned a PlayStation 4 and a Switch openly stated probably 75% of them. I am going to wait to buy a, that physical version of the game that you're putting out on both platforms. I'm going to wait for the switch one, even yeah. if the PS4 one's out today, which happened with enter the gungeon. Yeah. Uh, we had people still are waiting to buy the physical because they just don't want it on PS4. They already own it on digital. They only, uh, they downloaded it PS4 digitally. They don't want the physical. They want the physical switch. I mean, that I mean, is category. a surprise. Yeah, that's that's a surprise to me. Yeah, and it, yeah. I mean, it surprised me too. And I say that as someone who looked at the Switch and thought, "Well, that's tiny. Who's going to want to buy that?" And then every time I want a game, I want to buy it. I want to own it. Like I want that little tiny physical thing. I don't yeah. know. That's the kind of buyer that I am. That's the that's the kind of player that I am. Yep. Fair warning to all the other console makers. You know, that's uh, I've been also hearing other things that are a little not surprising. But the nostalgia of consoles that mm-hmm. we might feel 
is non-existent in what is the millennial generation or the generation Z. They have no, they, well, they said they don't have the nostalgia connection that we do to a a PlayStation 4 or an Xbox. Not saying Ataris or anything like that, but their brand, like the loyalty. I'm a PS4 guy. Oh, I'm an Xbox guy. No, I don't have either. I don't have both. I don't need both. Um, you know, that is gone now with the Switch. The Switch is portable. It's everything. And like the console loyalty game is over as, as far as some of these people are. And it's not. I mean, you got 91 million PS4s in the market versus, you know, not that. Yeah, we're not giving uh, up on that. I don't want to sound up, but it, it's, no, but it's a, it's a strange what people are saying. I'm just repeating what people are saying that these are surprising things. You know, yeah. that I hear. Yeah. yeah, I'm I have a PS4 and an Xbox One and between in between the two I have maybe maybe twelve games and I have not including my limited uh production games, I have one hundred and ninety nine switch games. Oh, oh Pete, nice. really? So uh nice. yeah, that's and I just ordered four more today. Well right, done. Uh, uh, soul souls left me behind and yeah, I think what are you uh, over aren't you three I do. You were two fifty plus the last time I talked to you. But what are how many in your collection now, Soul? Uh, I have three hundred and thirty eight Switch games Dang. as of recording. Yeah. See, the the difference between us is that he collects English on the cart games, and I only collect ESRB re- released games. Oh, I see. Okay. With the exception being some of the limited publishing, I I do import some of the limited publishing, but um, the as far as retail release goes, I only do ESRB. Yeah. Wow. yeah, I can't. I can't get enough of them uh, German farming simulators. He also <laughs> enjoys buying games twice, like Snow and Aquamoto. <sighs> hey, sole little known fact: when we were making games in the late nineties, only physical, if we wanted them to be imported into Germany, we had to change the blood in our game to not red, and they. Uh, so most of the approved colors were green. So we could show violence against humans, a game like Max Payne or something, but we had to change the blood to green. They just had to bleed green? Yeah, they had there. The blood couldn't be red. It had to be green. Everything else could be the same. Well, because then they're basically aliens. Aliens. We don't like those, right? Yeah. 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 So I I have a feeling that even in Switch – there's going to end up being some versions floating around out there like that, you know, that might have one cart that has red blood, one cart that has green blood. I bet you there actually thought- is. There's a uh, yeah. there was a, a version of Wolfenstein 2 that came out there where there were differences in the game in Germany due to the rules. Now, the uh, interesting thing is since that occurrence, the rules have changed and they are now allowing certain symbolism that they were not allowing before. And yeah. uh, they've laxed on some of those rules. So we may not see that again uh, yeah. anytime soon. Collectability at its mm-hmm. finest. Additional variants. <laughs> so what, what game or games are you both looking forward to seeing on the Switch or wish would come to the Switch? The Switch? Oh, uh, Duke Nukem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny Monster you say that. Too. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I had somebody tell me the other day they wish that Duke Nukem one and two would get re-released on the switch. Yeah. Yep. I would do too. I, I wish uh hotline Miami one and two for the switch. I and really I'm set. I'm seven days late for downloading Tetris 99 because I'm wild about Tetris and I can't wait to actually play against other people. It's, it's an amazing experience. I'm just going to say that. Uh, it seems uh, like 
a little overwhelming, but uh, I'm going to go with it. I want some old school retro stuff. Some of the games we made. I've, I've been wanting to play Monster Truck Madness 2. Someone, please, Monster Truck Madness 2, do that. <laughs> Make, bring it bring it to Switch. I know. I love the old Atari stuff, and we, you know, we're lucky enough to have connections to the Bushnells. Uh, I mean, starting with, you know, Nolan himself. He's come and hung out. He uh, loves our special reserve game shirt. Uh, he said it was very soft. <laughs> but I'll tell you a story about Nolan. He likes food. He likes spicy food. If you ever see him, don't insult him by giving him bland food. You give him that spice. But, uh, yeah, so I don't know. What was your question? <laughs> <laughs> I think you've covered What game it. are you excited Seriously. about on Switch, I think? But uh, yeah, I wish, we I brought it all around to spicy food again like we generally all the old do. Atari Pitfall. You know you you know you can't okay well that's Activision but you can you can go out and buy the Atari flashbacks cartridge uh it doesn't contain the Activision games but it does contain a, a bunch of the other ones Okay yeah. I missed that see I yeah. Soul can I tell you the the honest truth I still have my 2600 and I still have my 5200 with the trackball I still am at my house and I have a little thing that I can you know, put it into a coaxial cable import. So I, I can, I can still play that myself. Yeah, but you can't pick that oh, up gee. and take that with you either. <laughs> but I have nostalgia. Are you kidding me? That's, that's how, that's how we used to do it back in the day. You take your whole console with you. That's right. Yeah. Nostalgia. I'm saying all, you can't play in your hands while you're carrying it, man. That's a little heavy to do that's with the CRT TV. Oh, here we, we're back to that. <laughs> all right. La, last year, <laughs> Last year, Nintendo gave us some interesting surprises. Uh, what surprises do you think Nintendo has in store for us this year? They're going to quit supporting the Switch. <laughs> <laughs> that would be very surprising. Your mouth. That would be very, very surprising. Yeah. <laughs> he's not. He's not wrong. They're walking away from it. <laughs> They're going to start oh, making cell phones. Haven't you heard? I mean, I would love to say that I know, wouldn't you? What surprises are in store? Well, your microphone cut out, Andy. <laughs> Great. Awesome. <laughs> so that was a good point. And I that think was, was the secret that I was I'm yeah. sorry, I can't say it twice. I'm under contract. I can only say it one time. Did you say twenty pieces for five ninety nine? <laughs> uh but <laughs> so uh no, I don't know. I I just I don't like to predict you know, I'm not in that game. I, I'm kind of more of a servant to the smart people, the, the creatives. And so like, I'm, I'm, I'm not smart enough to really know what's going on down the road. I just want to take the beauty and the cool things that are given to me and make them really, really neat <laughs> to share them with others. You know, I just, I'm a storyteller. You know, I'm not a psychic. So don't ask me these questions because I don't want to be proven wrong. Right now, everything we make is right. <laughs> How about that? I'm just gonna. I'm gonna have to agree with with Smitty there. He's not smart enough to know. <laughs> that's that. That's basically in a nutshell what he's not. He's yeah. I know. I know this. I'm about to hang up. <laughs> well, we, we've got one last question. No, one no, last no, no, no. Ask me anything. I know it all. I know everything. Yeah, it's just well, basically and, Andy. It's not you. And, unfortunately, this last question is our bonus question. Uh, <laughs> Ouch. Hold on. Do you have any sound effects? To uh, no. <laughs> no. Well, uh, we'll add the in post. 
um, the, uh, the, the bonus, so basically the, the reason uh, we call it the bonus question is because it generally has nothing to do at all with what we talk about. It's just an, another random question about something else. Now, okay. now wait a minute. Before you go too fur- too much further, I'm going to say that I, I gave a hint so that Cyrix could write this. Yeah, so if this is if this doesn't hit home, then you can blame him. Is it about my this. mother? No, no, no. Uh, th- this one is for you, though, Jeff. So uh, Soul told me that you and I share something in common. And Ooh. so this is a sports-related question. Mm. And uh, the question, it's a two-parter. First part is, who, in your honest opinion, is the most currently underrated threat in the NFL? And and the second portion is, why is it Amari Cooper? <laughs> why is it Amari Cooper? <laughs> well, number one, because number 19, I always think it's freaking Miles Austin catching that ball. <laughs> so he is underestimated because people think, number one, it's Miles Austin out there on the field. <laughs> so I'm going to go with that. As my number one answer, I totally agree with you. But if we don't talk about, I know he's not underestimated, but Van Der Esch. And I'm telling you, tell you, I mean, I love me a Sean Lee. God dang it. Do I love number 50? I love those linebackers. And unfortunately, I feel like, uh, I feel like Sean, the Sean Lee, Leighton Van Der Esch thing is going to be akin to the Tony Romo, Dak Prescott thing we had a couple years ago. I'm good. I'm whatever. Uh, Van Der Esch is the future. I mean, that's for sure. And, uh, he's a great kid and he's, you know, I live in Dallas. And so you kind of see these people out and about sometimes, you, you know, and you know, who's a jerk around town or whatnot. And, you know, some of those kids, like Jason Witten, you know, my gosh, we were so lucky to have Jason Witten, you know, on our team for so long. And around town, he was a saint. Yeah, you know I mean, he took care of people, you know, so, you know, as long as people on the NFL, they're doing that kind of thing. Hey, great. You can run fast and catch a ball. Whoop de whoop. But what are you going to do with all of your opportunity that you're given? You know, yeah, Witten is the only jersey I currently own. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not Witten is the only jersey I own. Uh, uh, that's the only jersey I've ever purchased other than a throwback Roger Staubach. All right, don't make me regret giving him the information on the Cowboys. Now we're going to turn what? this into what? a different kind of okay. podcast. So, so I mean, I can talk Mark, about Mark yellow birds yeah. if you want. So me I can, I can. The, the reason why soul, <laughs> the reason why souls, it doesn't want us to go on about the Cowboys is because he's a Bills fan and he still feels really bad oh about the nineties. Oh my lord! Well, I would, I feel about bad about every decade. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Bills. Hey, no, man, we're I, the only team to go four years in a row to the Super Bowl. That's still a legacy that can't be beat. I know. Yeah, and that's where that legacy stops. Like, we do, we don't talk about the rest of it. Yeah. Shut up. I mean, we don't talk about our legacy. Shut up. I'm going to hang up on but, you. But I do want to say, my last uh, Cowboys thing, I am so happy that our boy Mark Colombo is the official uh, O-line coach. Uh, he was the meanest SOB uh, number 75 on the line protecting Romo. And, uh, man, I love him and uh, some of those guys off that line. So uh, it's really neat to see people like that, like Colombo, come back in. He's he's great to have on the coaching staff. There you go. How about that? That's true cowboy stuff, you know. I ain't no fly-by-night cowboys fan. I knew you weren't, but that's why I gave him that little bit of information. I figured you'd be able to dive in deep on that. So. <laughs> Honestly, Sorry, you two. <laughs> Poor Andy Oakland sitting over Raiders. there. What? The Oakland Raiders, yeah. <laughs> no, not even. Oh, wait, wait. They mean the Las Vegas Raiders? 
You want to talk about lesser prairie chickens? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So so ask her a bonus question about lesser prairie chickens, please. Uh, Yes, what are... Lesser furry chicken. <laughs> ask her about. Uh, well, I told you earlier. Rats. If you want to talk about gallinaceous birds, we could talk about those. I mean, a lot of people like turkeys. Some people mm. like pheasants, but I'm a fan of the lesser prairie chicken. But no, no, I'm good. Rats to live talk about room. being sorry that you asked a question. Yeah, I. Well, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll look at myself in the mirror next time I'm writing these. <laughs> um, honestly though uh, you guys have been a blast to talk to uh, Jeff and, and Andy thank you guys both for spending a little bit of time with us on our anniversary episode this means a lot to us uh, it's kind of a great thing to be able to to have you guys in to wrap up our show with uh, this has been a a wonderful episode for us. And I couldn't think of a better way than to uh, invite you guys in, have you guys share a little bit with the fans. So, you know, I kind of want to throw this last thing up there. If you guys have anything else that you want to say or share with our, our listeners, please do. I I mean, I want to wish you guys a happy anniversary. Congratulations on uh, all the things that you've brought and all the the fun that you've had. And it was really great to be here for such an August show. So I appreciate it. Yeah, and following up on that, I would advise to the people that live with you and love you for not getting to see very much of you because your extreme dedication of uh, you know to sharing all this with people. So yeah, absolutely. My my thing would be if if you appreciate this podcast, you know, let them know and and interact and spread the word because it takes a lot more work just to pre-produce something than it you know than just sit on the microphone and talk for an hour and a half yeah this is the fun part (laughs) this is the fun part this is the fun part so yeah you know my thing would be like just like with anybody else you know we support independent developers of art creativity whatever so we just support independent developers and you guys are one so yeah we i would openly pledge the you know we support you and we want all of our friends to support you too but other than that just be nice don't be an a-hole to people and uh you know just remember the small things will one day be the big things so don't overlook them when they're right in front of you that's awesome. Thank you guys again. Make sure if you have not visited uh, the website or the Twitter or any other thing for Special Reserve that you do so, Andy, you want to plug those uh, all those pieces? Oh, yeah. You got, uh, you know, Twitter. We're Special Reserve on Twitter. We're Special Reserve Games on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. We have a great Discord channel. Um, we're having a lot of fun there and we broadcast every Wednesday on Twitch at, uh, 12 noon central standard time, um, Texas time, Texas time. <laughs> and you yeah. know, those are the places you can find us so far. Yeah. So definitely yeah. try to do that. Catch these guys. They've got a real fun stream on Twitch. I know Syracuse, you've checked it out a number of times. Yeah. I, I actually won a, a code for downwell on steam. right on there you go good well that's great to know someone actually got it that we know used it (laughs) that was the one giveaway you guys did ever (laughs) (laughs) we gave away two grease today andy put two two yep but yeah no appreciate y'all and uh you know maybe do it again soon when we have uh some more switch stuff that we can actually talk about with dates and times and stuff wouldn't that be fun it will be that'd be fun It will be. We will love to have you guys back. But for now, I think our time is up. 
So thank you very much for joining us. Thank y'all. Thank Bye you. from Dallas, you. Texas. <laughs> and from? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> thank you, guys. See y'all. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that was that was technically interview... Uh, you, you could even call that interview like six and seven. Kind of, right? I mean, it, it's... let's. I mean, geez, let's just recap all of this. We, we got a chance to talk to JP. We got a mm-hmm. chance to talk to Hardy Pace. We got a chance to talk to George Perkins, Jason Perkins. We had... Desmond Wong from the Gentle Bros on. We had CM, the creator of the NS Collectors Discord and subreddit. We had Andy and Jeff from Special Reserve. Did I miss anybody? No, you, you got them. So. You got them all. There's, that's, that's eight. Eight different people. It's quite the packed show we have this time. Unfortunately, that with all that packed in there, in, instead of having our show run for, you know, 10 or 12 hours, we should probably start wrapping this up a little bit. <laughs> well, it has been a special year for sure. And I still can't believe that we get to cap it off with that Super Mario Maker 2 announcement. Yeah, we, we might need to fire up that new Twitch account and give people some more OTS options when, when that time comes. And from us here at On The Shelf, thank you again for spending some time with us. Don't forget to comment down below and hit those like and subscribe buttons, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>